Okay, in a one day, uh, they got the message. Oh, okay. Recorded live. Just wonder. Yeah. So All right, nobody left there to save. All right. There you go. Hey, thanks, AC. Okay. Thank uh, you, Pastor. It's been educational, as always, to be with you. Well, it's good to have you here. And uh, and if anybody wants to know, uh, see that video or know more about what's going on with Matt Lynch, you can go to mattlynch.com anytime or my Facebook page, Matt Lynch for Ohio. It's always new stuff going up there. And uh, send me an email or a tweet or one of those things. All right. We uh, wanted to also remind the folks out there about uh, this coming Sunday, I pastor a church. We recognize only two genders in the church, um, male and female. We we have male and female. We have boys and girls. That's all. You don't have to worry about finding some strange things in your bathroom. And uh, where the Word of God is preached, uh, where, gotta uh, where we're an actual New Testament church, we are not tied in any way, shape, or form to the state, uh, where the Bible is preached, where uh, men are men. And women are women, and our women don't want to be men, and we don't want them to be men. And so, uh, folks, where common sense is a good thing, and cleanliness and decency are things to be embraced, um, that's what you'll get at Doers of the Word Baptist Church at Amen night. And, uh, so come on out, and that's at 14781 Sperry Road, Newberry, Ohio. And uh, today, this week, John McTurner will be in my pulpit, the, and then I will be... Uh, at the Cortland Church at 162 South High Street in Cortland. And I will be there as, when we start there at 5 p.m. with praise and worship and then uh, 6 p.m. with a regular service. So come on out, and I will be preaching on where we got the first divine institution of human government. You don't want to miss that one. Well, we're coming up to the end of the program uh, Tonight, I want to thank you again for being here, and uh, my privilege, Pastor. We got a lot of things coming up. Keep praying, folks. Yeah, keep praying. Now, one of the things I didn't get to answer, answer when you said people feel that they're losing, uh, the Bible says this: We will, the church are going to lose some battles, but we win the war. We lose some battles, but we do win the war. Well, I've read the book, so I know how it ends. Yep, uh, we are more than conquerors in Christ. So until then, good night, God bless. Remember, always, always, keep fighting the fight. Thanks for listening to the Voice of the Christian Resistance. What's right, what's left. Hosted by Pastor Ernie Sanders. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at www.wrwl.org. Please tune in next time for another edition of What's Right, What's Left. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with 
your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. I would like to tell you about the only truly natural dog and cat food I have found anywhere. Most all companies add a synthetic vitamin mineral pack to their dry or kibble food. Nature's logic is different. With all natural ingredients and nothing man-made added, their owner, Scott Freeman, worked for another pet food company but decided he wanted to do things right. So he started Nature's Logic. You can check them out at natureslogic.com. You will find online and local stores where you can find their products. I spent a lot of time trying to find an all-natural pet food, and Nature's Logic was the only one out there. Give your pets the best and check out naturelogic.com. Your pets will be glad you did. They also have many other natural pet products to try. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
Good evening, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steffen. You are listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Wednesday, June 29, 2016. It's about eight minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time. If that's when it is where you're at, we are, in fact, live. And if we are live, well, then uh, you can call in 800 932 1980 800 932 1980 You can also go to the or Uh There's a chat room up and running, which you can use, and uh, it's different, okay? It's not necessarily permanent, uh, but it may be permanent if I can make it work right, because actually there's things I like about this web, this chat room better than the old one, but I've got to be able to, you know, I've got to be able to make it work right, or else uh, we'll just go back to the old one. But for right now, that's in there, and uh, you can use that. It works. I mean, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. Oh, I'm not even going to give you the Yahoo Instant Messenger, because I never know whether that's going to work or not, you know. Hey, let's, uh, let's do something some good news here, all right? Gun-controlled advocates say it's ridiculous to expect that armed patrons to stop mass shootings at nightclubs, as Donald Trump and others have suggested, including myself and many, many other talk show hosts, have said, listen, you know, you've got armed people in, an, in a, anywhere, a restaurant, a nightclub, a movie theater, you name it. 
some joker walks in with a gun and starts shooting up the place, there are going to be people that are going to return fire and kill him or her, whoever. And they're going to do it right away. They're not going to do it three and a half hours later. And by the way, folks, that's something else that we'll get to if I can find this on here. I have it somewhere. But anyway, uh, does this make sense to you? I mean, it makes sense to me that, uh, well, gee, you know, have you ever heard of many police stations being robbed? No. You know why? You, what, you don't think they've got valuables in there? Of course they do. The evidence lockers are full of valuables. Very valuables. Probably more valuables than any place except maybe other than a pawn shop. Far more valuable things than any bank has in it anymore. They can't even put together $3,000 if you go in there and say, okay, look, I want to get $3,000 in cash out of my account. Oh, you're going to have to wait four days before we can get the money. What do you mean, get the money? You mean you don't have the money? What's that big-ass vault over there for, huh? What are you keeping in there? Oh, nothing? Yeah, nothing. Oh, except people's so-called safe deposit boxes, which uh, if any law enforcement wants to come in and, and look at them, they can. The bank will open it up. As a matter of fact, this is nothing new, folks. Okay, this is nothing new. When Roosevelt, and the criminal congress went along and said, oh, uh, look, uh, you can't own gold anymore. Just like they went around and said, oh, you can't have own alcohol anymore. Oh, we decided. Yeah, okay. We decided you can't have gold anymore. You're going to have to give us your valuable gold, and you're going to have to accept this worthless nothing paper in return for it. Uh-huh. Guess what? If you had a safe deposit box, there was a treasury agent there waiting for you to open it up. When you went to the bank to open it up, yeah. And if there was any gold in there, they confiscated it. That's the only places they confiscated gold in America during that time. They did not go home to home, door to door, saying, got any gold in there? Because they would have been killed if they did. Because the people that were not going to give up their gold would, in fact, kill them if they tried to take it. And I don't blame them. So it's nothing new. It's not like, oh, the United States government just all of a sudden went bad. No, they've been bad ever since the Civil War. Actually, they were bad before the Civil War. They were so bad, it created the Civil War, for crying out loud. Oh, all this talk about this BS about slaves and this and that and the other thing. It had nothing to do with it, okay? It didn't have anything more to do with the Civil War than that guy lighting himself on fire had to do with the, the, the Arab Spring. It was all contrived and simply a, a, a PR stunt to go, oh, look, this is the reason. Oh, yeah, okay, Hillary, really? Is that what caused it all? Yeah, that's what did Benghazi was that video. Uh-huh. More contrived reasons. Just like slavery in the Civil War. The South left, okay? Not because of slaves, not because the North was going to free the slaves. There was no such talk. 
oh, sure, there was talk about, hey, you know, that's not right, and, uh, you know, we don't think that, you know, people should be owned, and, uh, you know, if they come up here, we're going we're gonna to hide them, and this and that. And the other thing, but sure, there's always going to be people that disagree, but it wasn't a huge issue. All right? You know, I'll tell you, it, it's, it wasn't even as big an issue as, oh, gee, you know, your transvestites now get to use the bathrooms. That's how big of an issue it was. You know what, folks? I got to tell you, as much as it disturbs me and as disgusting as it is, it, it's simply a symptom of a degraded and dead society. Dead society walking, okay? That's what we've got going on. And that's just a symptom of it. It's not an issue, okay? Who cares? I don't care. I don't even look at other people in the bathroom. Do you? If you do, uh, you might want to ask yourself why, huh? Mind your own business when you're in the bathroom. That's my policy, and I really don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a transvestite or some other guy. You start eyeballing me in the bathroom, and we're going to have a problem. Keep your eyes to the wall, mind your own business, and get your business done and get get out. That's, my, that's the way I look at it. But it's a huge thing. It's in the news. It's all over the place. Meanwhile, oh, gee, the, the, what, what is our debt? $400 trillion or something? It's never going to be paid. Civilization is collapsing around us. The economy is failing. Production is failing. Our food and water and air is all poisoned. And the government's letting it happen. You know, uh, companies are monopolizing all around us. Uh, certain rich little billionaire slugs like Soros and others have far too much influence over everything. And yet, we're going to sit and argue about who's using what bathroom. Yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's okay. So what? Do you think talking to the Obama administration or the court that he has packed in there, you think that's going to do anything? You don't think Scalia was assassinated for a reason? Now those slugs on the Supreme Court again have come up with a pro-abortion ruling. You know, and and Jay talked about this on his show, but it really, it, it really, this is a big issue, far more large than oh, what kind of freak is using the bathroom? You know what? Listen, you got a little daughter or something. Well, for one thing, if you're in the public thing, I would say, if you're a dad. You go in the bathroom with her. Let her go in the stall, and you can stand there and outside, and you can wait, and you can watch, and you can make sure nobody does any funky business. And if anybody says anything, just tell them you feel pretty today. Eh, you know, I feel pretty today. I thought I'd use the girls' room. And I would also suggest you give your little girl a spray bottle of pepper spray and teach her how to use it. So if some freak comes up and accosts her, she just hoses them down with the pepper spray. 
Listen, folks, you know what? This whole idea of victimized, oh, I'm, I'm a victim. You know what? I don't care how many freaks are running around. Stay away from me, or we're going to have a big problem, and you're going to go to the hospital, or you're going to go on the ground. One or the other, we have to stop being victims. We have to start standing up for ourselves, because you know what, folks? What do you think? Who do you think is going to protect your daughter? In the bathroom. You? Well, okay. Those times when you're there, is she never going to be allowed to use the bathroom unless you're around? How's that going to happen? You see, you're going to have to teach her to defend herself. Oh, but they want to take that right away. And you know what, girls? You're the real you're the real ones in danger. They want to take away the only thing that equalizes your ability to defend yourself in this world. And that is a firearm. And you sit there and go, well, I'm, I don't like guns, really. You like being gang-raped and murdered and your head chopped off and thrown in a 55-gallon drum of acid? Do you like that? Yeah. Anyway, so these dimwits say that, well, you know, that's ridiculous. To think that a room full of gun-carrying people could actually defend themselves against a shooter. That's ridiculous. <laughs> really. <laughs> uh, well, and the writer here says, I can sympathize with this. It seems impractical in so many respects, and the mixture of alcohol and guns on a regular basis could be a real cause for concern. And that's true. I am not advocating necessarily because, okay, look, I'll tell you a story. And it's a true story. I was a kid from New Jersey, all right? In New Jersey, people don't, or didn't, they, I'm sure they still don't, you know, walk around with, you know, a holster on their side, you know, down the street of a town with a gun. Okay, it's just, you know, you couldn't walk into any. 7-Eleven or Circle K and buy a gun, ammunition, and a bottle of whiskey and fill up your car. You know, you just you just couldn't. But I find myself and, you know, hitchhiking around, I find myself in a place called Benson, Arizona. It's about 50 miles uh, east of Tucson on I-10. And, you know, I, I'm walking down the street and I see probably... Oh, I'd say 50% of the people. Seemed like more at the time, but when I think back, it was probably about 50% of the people. All had holsters on. With guns in them. So I went down to the Circle K. Because I was going into the Circle K, I thought, hey, this is pretty cool. Uh, because this is something that was like in New Jersey. You could buy liquor at stores. Here in Oregon, you got to go to a special you know, store run by the state, but... So I was going down to the Circle K to buy me a pint of liquor. So I go in there, and I am and I walk in, and I see the counter. 
and the counter's got this glass counter. It's got a bunch of guns in there and uh, ammo and boxes of ammo and everything else. And I'm like, I got my bottle, and I'm like, well, uh, hey, uh, are these on? What are these on? You know, they got what? These are for sale? Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool, uh, but I'm thinking, wow, I really am in the Wild West. So another day, I find this bar called the Silver Spur. I remember the name because I spent quite a bit of time in there. It was kind of a biker bar. And uh, I, I wouldn't say a strict, strictly a biker bar, but it was pretty A lot of bikers hung out in that bar. And they had a rule, which I had never been in a bar that had needed this rule, that they said, hey, you got to, you know, relinquish your sidearm to the bartender, and you can get it back when you leave. I thought, well, hey, that's probably a good idea. And it probably was a good idea because uh, I myself was involved in one altercation, a uh, physical altercation at the Silver Spur, and uh, I witnessed several others. You know, so stuff happens in bars, and probably everybody wearing a gun maybe won't be the best thing. But the question then begs, well, wait a minute. How did this guy get into this bar with, an, uh, with a so-called rifle? Huh? How did that happen? Yeah, you got to wonder. But anyway. But, this writer goes on, I can also sympathize with armed nightclub patrons who actually do stop mass shootings. South Carolina, WISTV reports. Deputies with Spartanburg County said, now, I bet you didn't see this on CNN, right? Or even Fox News. Said a man faces multiple attempted murder charges after opening fire outside a nightclub early Sunday morning. Deputies said 32-year-old Jody Ray Thompson pulled out a gun after getting into an argument with another man and fired several rounds toward a crowd that had gathered out front in the, of the club. His rounds struck three victims and almost struck a fourth, who in self-defense pulled his own weapon, and fired, striking Thompson in the leg. WIS-TV continued. Bobo said the man, Bobo, Lieutenant Kevin Bobo, okay, Bobo said, <laughs> the man who shot Thompson has a valid concealed weapons permit, cooperated with investigators, and won't be facing any charges. This happened in my home state of South Carolina, where carry concealed is commonplace. Shooter in my hometown of Charleston was stopped the same way last year. I wrote in October. When I visit home in Charleston, South Carolina, I often go to a particular Waffle House to sit, eat, and work. A few of longtime servers there always remember me as the man who brings his computer. Yeah, and he points out that, you know, Waffle House isn't exactly, you know, like a Starbucks, where everybody's got a computer, you know, so they know. Saturday, an armed man attempted to rob the Waffle House. Another armed man, a customer, shot and killed the robber. Two men, two guns, one fortunate outcome. Hmm. So, we'll just leave it at that. But what would have happened if that man at the Waffle House didn't have a gun? 
How many people would have been killed? Hmm? Oh, and we would have saw that in the news, wouldn't we? Oh, crazed gunman kills 50 at Waffle House. Legal gun owner, whatever, you know? I mean, they always pull that. But what do we what do we see? Oh. Customer with a gun shoots, you know, robber, armed gunman. No, we don't see that in the news. So I want to bring this up again here in Idaho. Because this is getting covered up, and you know what? For one, something like this to happen is bad enough. But then to have the Obama administration hack job, so-called federal prosecutor, basically threaten people in the community from talking about it, or else she's going to charge them, is, uh, you know, this, this, this prosecutor needs to be removed. The Obama-appointed U.S. attorney for Idaho has taken highly unusual step of intervening in a local criminal case involving an alleged sexual assault by juvenile Muslim savages and threatened the community and media with federal prosecution if they spread false information or inflammatory statements about the perpetrators. Really? And what would that be? What, what would be the charge for that? Is, is lying a crime now? Because if it is, uh, I've got 535 candidates to throw in prison right this second. So don't try to tell me lying and passing on uh, false information. Every federal employee that gets on the news and ever opens their stinking pie hole is spreading false information every time they speak. So that can't be it inflammatory statements? I don't think that's a crime either. Mm, inciting riot, maybe. But I don't think... I. You see, what they're saying is, they're going, well, we the witnesses are all wrong. Only listen to the official story, because the witnesses are all wrong. They're all lying. They're all white bigots in Idaho, and you can't believe anything. You can only believe us, the federal government, the authorities. That's all you can do. Yeah, Muslim savages rape five-year-old, hold knife to her throat, strip her naked, and urinate on her. Yeah. A special needs five-year-old girl in Idaho. That's what these dirtbag savages from the Sudan had to do in Idaho. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, Wendy J. Olson is her name. And, and I'll tell you what, it doesn't look like an her. It looks like a guy who had a sex change. I mean, this is an uglier woman than Bruce Jenner. Okay? Let's see here. The United States Attorney's Office extended support to the five-year-old victim of assault and her family. The United States Attorney's Office further encourages community members in Twin Falls and throughout Idaho to remain calm and supportive, to pay close attention to the facts. 
that have been released by law enforcement and the prosecuting attorney. And to avoid spreading false rumors and inaccuracies, Grant Loeb's is an experienced prosecutor, and Chief Craig Kinsbury is an experienced law enforcement officer. They are moving fairly and thoughtfully in this case, said Wendy J. Olson. As Mr. Loeb's and Chief Kingsley informed the public, the subjects in this case are juveniles ages 14, 10, and 7. Hmm, never too young to rape a five-year-old, huh? Right? The criminal justice system, whether at the state or federal level, requires that juveniles be afforded a specific process with significant restrictions on the information that can be released. The fact that the subjects are juvenile in no way lessens the harm or impact on the victim and her family. Yeah, blah, 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 Wendy Dyke. The spread of false information or inflammatory or threatening statements. Now, okay, I can see threatening statements. You know, you're not allowed to just openly threaten people. And, you know, I mean, and there's standards, too. You, It has to be a credible threat. You have to have the ability to carry it out. Yada, yada, yada. Of course, they don't care about any of that. They'll, they'll charge you with anything, but later on, they have to prove those elements. I mean, but the thing is, okay, so let's give them that. Threatening statements. You should not make threatening statements. Okay? For instance, if I ever find these children's father, I'm going to kill him. Would be wrong to say. Okay? Yeah, that would be wrong. You couldn't say that. That would be bad. And I, I get that. But wait a minute. False information or inflammatory statements about the perpetrators or the crime itself reduces public safety and may violate federal law. May violate federal law. You see, when they say may violate federal law, that means they're blowing smoke and they're full of crap. Because if it did violate federal law, you can bet your bottom dollar they'd say so. And they would tell you exactly what code you're violating. And exactly how long you're going to go to prison if you do it. You can bet they would if it was there. So they go, may violate federal law. Yeah, and it may not. And uh, really, just because you say it reduces public safety doesn't mean that it does. What are you basing that on? Nothing. I'm just saying it. We have seen time and time again that the spread of falsehoods about refugees divides our communities. I urge all citizens and residents. Wait a minute. What's this? Citizens and residents? Hmm. Does that mean those are two different classes? to allow Mr. Loeb's and Chief Kingsbury and their teams to do their jobs. Ha! You know, I don't take that as a credible threat from Wendy Olson. And you know what I say? I say the people of Idaho, of that city, need to take the law into their own hands if Chief and the prosecutor don't get these kids put in lockdown. Or deported back to where they came from. One or the other. 
and their whole family. Out of here, bud. You're done. This is garbage. You are out of here. And for those of you thinking, well, throwing them out, that's not serious enough. Well, maybe you don't know much about the Sudan. I think most of us would rather go to prison in the United States than be shipped off to the Sudan. Yeah, so I'd send them home. Anyway, hey, let's take a break. We'll be back in a bit.
people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Rip up the floor, smash out the windows, and knock down the door. We're gonna rock, rock this joint. We're gonna rock, rock this joint. We're gonna rock, rock this joint. We're gonna rock this joint tonight. Well, six times six is thirty-six. I ain't gonna hit for six more licks. We're gonna rock, rock this joint. We're gonna rock, rock this joint. We're gonna rock. Side, a flying low and a flying wide. We're gonna rock, rock 
it's supporting Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders and reporting things like, oh, you know, Hillary Clinton has a million delegates before the first vote was counted. They were counting superdelegates in there to make it look like Hillary Clinton had this humongous lead when she really didn't. That's dishonest. Now, if you're Hillary Clinton's, uh, you know, campaign, I expect stuff like that from them because, hey, they want to win. It's their campaign. But from a so-called news agency, no, I'm sorry. That's not that's not okay. So this thing says, you know, I didn't make this up. I just happen to agree with it. Turn off CNN July 1st to July 14th. All of it. Don't go to their website. Don't turn the TV on. Nothing. Your phone, just don't go to CNN from the 1st to the 14th of July. If you want to go at Twitter, it's the, uh, I guess, hashtag BlackoutCNN. And you might want to, you know, let their sponsors know. CNN sponsors need to know. They have purchased ads during a viewer blackout and are supporting immigration policies that endanger and kill Americans. Some of their sponsors are Geico, Wells Fargo, Sprint, Verizon, DirecTV, E-Trade, American Express, Toyota, Subaru USA, Dodge, and Progressive. Now, the thing is, look, I don't expect, I mean, how are you going to, look, if you have car insurance, how are you going to boycott your insurance company? I mean, you're forced by law to have some kind of insurance or you're going to have trouble. I'm not saying you can't defend yourself. I'm just saying that you're going to have trouble. You know, so, you know, I think this is a good idea. You know, because you don't need CNN, folks. Really, honestly, you really, 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 truly don't need CNN. So just don't, don't, don't go there. Don't turn them on the TV. Don't look at them on the Internet. Nothing. I don't, I hardly ever go to CNNs. I, don't, I never watch them on, I don't have TV. And I don't watch anything from them on the Internet. And I rarely ever even reference a CNN story because they're all crap. It's all garbage. Hey, if I want lies, I can just go to the White House and see their latest press release. I don't have to go to CNN. So, you know what? You can do without CNN for two weeks. I'm pretty sure you really can. Anyway... Here's something, too. There's a, in New York, okay, in Brooklyn, there's a, a sign-up, don't honk, $350 penalty, okay? And the thing is, that's right across the street from a mosque that blasts their crap music garbage noise, you know, at all five times a day or something. Yeah. That's okay, but you can't honk your horn or it's going to be $350, right? Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, really. All right. Now, this has been talked about. I think me and Al talked about it yesterday. But I want to just reiterate this. Oh, by the way, uh, the first song was by a band, Thunder Mother, Boogie Music. And the second one there was by Bill Haley, okay? 
uh, you know, the guy, uh, and didn't it sound a lot like uh, his famous song? But that was called Rock This Joint. Anyway, oh, let's see. Hillary Clinton was asked, does an unborn child have constitutional rights? Well, under our laws, currently, that is not something that exists. Really? The unborn person doesn't have constitutional rights. Well, that may be true. Okay? An unborn person may not. Because remember, a person is an artificial creation by the government. A person is a creation of the 14th Amendment. All right? And if you don't think so, then look it up and find out that 90%, actually over 90% of the lawsuits that came about after the 14th Amendment was passed was not by freed black slaves. For you know, We're told, oh, well, that's who the 14th Amendment was all about. That's what it was. It was all for them. Poor, free, black slaves. Yeah, right. Okay, then how come over 90% of the lawsuits were not brought by poor, black, freed slaves? They were brought by, guess who? Corporations who said, oh, well, under the 14th Amendment, we are persons. Our corporation is a person. And the Supreme Gum-sucking court bought it. Okay? So just realize what a person is. And understand that Hillary the slimeball snake is a lawyer. She should have been disbarred. She almost was disbarred. Her husband, Bill, has been disbarred. But I mean, you know, hey, I guess nobody cares about that. Certainly not Loretta Lynch mob. We'll get to that in a second if I have time here. But Okay, so she says the unborn person does not. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't do everything we possibly can in the vast majority of instances to know, you know, help a mother carrying a child, but uh, it doesn't mean that you don't do everything possible to try to fulfill your obligation, but it does not include sacrificing the woman's right to make decisions. Oh, yeah? Well, what if I decide I'd like to just kill Hillary Clinton right now? Do I get to go do that? No, I don't get to go do that. Because you know why? That's murder. Oh, but for her, it's okay. Yeah, oh, it's a woman's decision. Well, let me, let me tell you something else. Let's, let's get to something here. Declaration of Independence. And you all might not think it means much. Ah, that's just an old document. It's just a Declaration of Independence. Well, guess what? It is one of the four foundational law documents of this nation. And that is in the congressional record. You can look that up, too. It's not just a piece of paper. It is, the fundament, it is part of the fundamental law of the United States of America. And it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay. All men are created. Created equal. That means you are equal when you are created. Creation starts when the sperm hits the egg and pop. You have now creation. All right? And they have certain un alienable rights 
endowed by their creator. Now, she says, in our law, we don't have that. Well, sorry, honey, but in our law, we do. Right here, the Declaration of Independence, I guess they didn't teach that in criminal lawyer school. Hmm? Life, liberty. Oh, wait, life? We can stop right there. So you wonder, well, yeah, but how do you go about doing that? Well, here you go. The Ninth Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights, shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Bing, bang, boom. There it is. I think this would be an effective way to challenge abortion laws myself. I really do. But you would have to take care of the status. You do not want to be a person. You do not want to be a U.S. person. You want to be one of the people of one of the several states of the perpetual union, as styled in the Articles of Confederation, the United States of America. A man created in God's image, as in Genesis you know, you, you, you stipulate these things. I think it would be an effective uh, challenge to Roe v. Wade. Now, here's something. This is just how crooked it is, okay? This is like if the FBI was investigating your wife and uh, you went and had uh, a secret lunch with the prosecutor. Okay? That would be viewed as bad, okay? People would think there was something shady going on. And there probably would be. U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch, Bill Clinton, meet privately in Phoenix before the Benghazi report. Huh? Amid an ongoing investigation into Hillary Clinton's use of email and hours before the public release of the Benghazi report, U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch met privately with former Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton. What do you think she was doing? I'll tell you what she was doing. She got her stinking slimy little hands on that report before it was released, and she went and gave Bill Clinton all the details of it so Hillary Clinton could get her, get her act together, get her lies straight. The private meeting, private meeting, private meeting? What is the what, what is the U.S. Attorney General doing meeting with, what, Bill Clinton? He's nobody. He doesn't hold any office. He has no official, he's just married to a criminal being investigated by the FBI. The private meeting took place on the west side of Sky Harbor International Airport on board a parked private plane. Former President Clinton was visiting the Phoenix area and arrived to Sky Harbor meeting Monday evening to depart. And what, in a private plane? I thought he was broke. Flat broke. Guess not anymore. Sources tell ABC 15 Clinton was notified Lynch would be arriving at the airport soon and waited for her arrival. Lynch was arriving in Phoenix for a planned visit as part of her national tour to promote community policing. ABC, oh, by the way, folks, community policing means snitching on your neighbors, okay? That's what that means. ABC 15 asked Lynch about 
the meeting during her news conference at the Phoenix Police Department. I did see President Clinton at the Phoenix airport as he was leaving and spoke to myself and my husband on the plane. The private meeting comes as Lynch's office is in charge of the ongoing investigation and potential charges involving Clinton's email server. The private meeting also occurred hours before the Benghazi report was released publicly involving Hillary Clinton, President Obama's administration. Lynch said the private meeting on the tarmac did not involve these topics. Oh, and we should believe you. We should just trust you. Okay, I'll remember that next time I'm questioned by the cops. I'll just say, oh, no, that's crazy. And you got to believe me, because if I have to believe you, you have to believe me. Our conversation was a great deal about grandchildren. It was particularly social about our travels, and he mentioned golf he played in Phoenix. Yeah, we're supposed to believe this. There was no discussion on any matter pending before the department or any matter pending with anybody. There was no discussion of Benghazi, no discussion of State Department emails. By way of example, I would say it was current news of the day, the Brexit decision, and what it would mean. Yeah, right. Like, we're supposed to believe that. Do you believe that, folks? Because I don't. Loretta Lynch mob is a lying piece of garbage. Just like Bill Clinton, just like Hillary Clinton, and just like Barack Obama. And the 535 criminals in Congress, too. Anyway, that's it for tonight. I gotta go. I'll be back again tomorrow. As always, thanks for listening. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. My co-hosts, Alfred Adisk and James Corbett of the Corbett Report, will be joining you immediately following the first commercial break of the program in just about 20 minutes. But first, before we get to that point, we have 20 minutes to spend together. So uh, let's go ahead and get to the market report. Today is Thursday, June 30th, 2016. And of course, it's the last trading day of June and of course, the last trading day of the second quarter. And um, I don't know if many vacations or will begin tomorrow. I would think next week would be more of a lighter trading week as people take advantage of the uh, uh, July 4th falling on Monday. Uh, I expect Monday we will play a rebroadcast from this week. Um, and uh, we will not have a live program on Monday. And um, so let's go ahead and see what the markets did today. Um, gold struggled a little bit, but uh, um, she managed up uh, $2.60, 260 for gold at 1321 We have silver up $0.47, cents, 1885 Really close to that $19 level, folks. And um, it was strong all day long. Uh, the high was 1890, so just uh, five cents off the high of the day. Platinum was up 17 at 1,030, and palladium was up nine at 602. The USDX today was up 0.30 at 96.01. Crude oil, you talk about a seesaw. Crude oil was down 1.41 at 48.47. It's like one day it's up 1.4. The next day it's down 1.4. The next day it's up, down, up, down. So can't figure out what's going on with crude oil. So I haven't really looked into it, but perhaps with a three-day weekend, maybe I will do so. But uh, uh, it's interesting to see the USDX stronger and uh, gold is also stronger. So you know, everybody goes and, and oh, the dollar's stronger, gold's going to drop. And uh, stock market is down, gold should be up. You really can't go by those. Um, uh, you can't follow that anymore. You, you know, a lot, lots of times there are knee-jerk reactions. These things happen. But lots of times things have to filter through uh, the markets, and particularly when the markets are rigged. So, you know, it's... That's why we stress long-term fundamentals because those you can rely on, that will tell you the truth. It is not as exciting as uh, some of these other, uh, 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 you know, comparisons and examples of why gold is going to go higher and silver higher and so forth, but the fundamentals will tell you the truth. The fundamentals prepare you for the ups and downs for gold and silver as we continue to head higher in the prices. We know what the outcome is. We know what it is, and that's what you prepare for. And a lot of things will happen in between. Uh, Some things will surprise us. Some things will anticipate. So um, this is why I stress the fundamentals. The paper markets today, and again, heading into a three-day weekend, um, absolutely they were going to bring uh, the markets back. Um, I had no doubt of that. And let me see if I can bring, I think we were up a triple digits. I didn't follow the paper markets that strongly today. And it seems that my 
computer has given me a little bit of an argument again. I guess it's ready for a three-day weekend. Uh, the paper market today, let's see if I can bring it up or if it's going to close out on me. The paper market, 234 points, almost back up to 18,000 again, 17,929. May as well say 18,000. The NASDAQ is up 63 at 4842. And the S&P is up 28 at 2,098. So just because the markets are strong doesn't mean that all the problems are gone. Yesterday, someone told me they had a meeting with one of their financial planning planners, and they had talked about they have talked about the uh, Brexit. That's no big deal. It's just a bunch of old people. <laughs> old people wanted to be um, Europe again or or England again, but the young people wanted to be quote unquote European. It's like, well, that's one way of putting it. Uh, but the older people really wanted their country back and freedom. Then the young people like socialism. They, that's why they wanted to be part of the European Union, as that promotes socialism, communism. And, you know, socialism is just a kinder, nicer, gentler word than communism. But you know, take it whatever you want. But that's that's the younger people that they're conditioning. It's the younger people that they're changing their views that socialism is good and and they want to be a part of it and you give up your 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 country and your freedoms and your liberties so um but this is how the financial planners are going to spin the brexit and i got a little article on that uh, but first let's finish up with the market report the 10 year yield 1.49% earlier in the day it was 1.45 so it did come back a little bit. The euro is still holding at 111, 1.11, and that was down 0.27. European markets, of course, and Asians, of course, were all strong. Japan is just barely moving, but it did eke out a little bit of a gain. So, And that's also what's interesting, and I don't pay much attention to these fear and greed indexes, the VIX and, and some of these others that uh, – Indicate whether the markets, uh, the the market, uh, uh, quote unquote, feelings, emotions, whether it's fear. I don't know what neutral is. <laughs> There's no fear and no greed, but we all know that fear and greed move the markets. Those two things, fear and greed. Um, so you're either fearful or you're you're greedy. I can't imagine if you're neutral unless you're just not in the markets at all. But anyway, earlier in this week. The fear, the fear grade was down to like 39. So you get a couple of updates in the stock market, and all of a sudden, right now, it's 62. So again, it's, it's, it's just interesting to look at. Does it mean anything? Probably not. Probably not. Then why are you drawing our attention to it if it doesn't mean that much? Because I'm telling you, if that doesn't mean that much, the markets don't mean that much. You know, because they're so manipulated, how can you take anything seriously? And if you can't take anything seriously, how can you be invested in something that you can't take seriously? So, um, again, financial planners told these folks that, and we're trying to find a little more information, that the Labor Department is actually taking over 401s. So they're transferring uh, the 401s into a new department, and they didn't have a lot of information on it. And uh, so they, uh, it's interesting to see what kind of changes will result to 401s. 
uh, once this change is made. So don't have a lot of info, and again, that is something that I will follow up on. And, you know, we talk about what moves the markets, how markets are manipulated. Today, Hershey, it rejected, you know, Hershey Chocolates, they rejected a $107 a share takeover bid from Mondelez. I think it's Cadbury. Uh, Hershey says it sees no basis for further discussion. Um, but guess what? Guess what happened to that price? Look, guess what happened to that share? It, repre- it represented a 10% premium to the closing price yesterday. Hershey's stock were up 13% after the company officially shut down the offer. It had earlier shot up by 21% to all-time highs in the day when the Wall Street Journal reported or broke the news. So again, folks, you know, you talk about inside trading, how markets are manipulated. You know, you release a story about maybe a, uh, an offer and Hershey, and, and there, Hershey rejected, and there goes the price. It would be a huge uh, merger of the two companies. It's the two biggest chocolate brands in the world. Uh, it would have to first be approved by the Hershey Trust. And Hershey gets a lot of money from their share price. A lot of, well, of course they do. But a lot of that money goes to the boys' homes, the Hershey, the Milton Hershey boys' homes. So I don't know how you could continue, you know, the, 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 it's a little, I would think it would be a little more complicated than just, uh, uh, than, than most as that's a very big deal, uh, the Hershey's boys' uh, home. So uh, anyway, I just thought that was a little interesting. It's just a little more proof uh, of the pudding that, uh, proof in the pudding that, uh, you know, how the markets are so manipulated. You release a little bit of a, you know, a little tidbit, and all of a sudden the company uh, rises 21%. Well, you should be lucky you're not living in Puerto Rico, but I expect you're going to be seeing that here soon in the States, electricity prices are going up by 8% this summer, uh, but that's just the beginning. By 2017, the beginning of next year, they're expected to jump 26%. Uh, that's if the uh, electric authority gets its way, and why wouldn't it get its way? Uh, Puerto Rico uh, is uh, in a major economic crisis. Taxes have gone up. The sales tax is now 11. Well, they're just, I mean, there's a lot of cruise ships that go to Puerto Rico. Now you have tourists. Do you think they're going to buy as much when the sales tax is 11.5%? You have jobs that are scarce. The unemployment is 11.7%. It's probably higher than that. Home values are plummeting. You have people that are literally fleeing the island at a rate not seen since the 50s, the 19th. 50s. They can go to Florida and double their salary. They can go to Miami. They can take a boat to Miami, work in Miami, and double their salary. So um, again, it's just it's just another sign of you know the the distress that, that countries are having. And uh, you know if all these countries are having are having stress and poor economic conditions. You know, what do you think ours is doing? I mean, are we truly the only bright spot in the world? Another interesting thing coming out of the Brexit, you know, the former London mayor, Boris Johnson, he abruptly pulled out of the race to become Britain's prime minister that he was once favored to win. 
this is the guy that I thought would take Cameron's place. You know, I listened to him. Uh, uh, he's, he's a very, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he managed the, the, the Brexit. He, he, it was, you know, he, 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 you know, everyone expected him to take Britain's prime minister Cameron's position, prime minister's position. And uh, so it's a big shock. Plus, there was another guy that decided that he's not going to, uh, that he's not interested. There's all the writings is these, these guys are not uh, capable. They're not qualified to be the prime minister. So who do you think that they're going to get in there? They're going to get someone very similar as Cameron. Um, you know, here's Theresa May. She's the new favorite to succeed Cameron. And um, uh, she backed remaining in the European Union. So now you have someone who wants to, that wanted to stay to remain in the European Union actually negotiating all the trade agreements. So how much is this Brexit really going to change for the England people, and I think the people who voted for Brexit are really getting a dirty deal. And I would love to know why uh, Boris Johnson pulled out of the race because he was the favorite to take over. And um, maybe he, maybe they gave him the information. He probably gave him an ultimatum that he couldn't refuse. But maybe he also found out just how terrible uh, the conditions are in the European Union economically. But um, they said they're going to continue with the Brexit, uh, but there will be um, there will be no second referendum. But again, here you have someone who wanted to remain in Europe, do all the negotiations. So eh, it doesn't it seems kind of fishy to me. So um, so it seems like the exit party sort of won the battle, but maybe they have lost the war. So we'll see how this folds out. One more thing I just want to bring up, IRAs. Uh, we do have precious metals IRAs. You have to be very careful with them. Um, you, you can put your gold and silver in a, in a depository, but there's a few dealers across the country that are promoting um, taking delivery of your precious metals. All you have to do is open up an LLC. It seems like it's no big deal, um, but it is a big deal. And you have to understand that it's a big deal. Uh, someone told me there is an accountant in California that is uh, promoting these um, precious metals, take delivery IRAs. Um, and I guess if my accountant came to me and says, Melody, why don't you do this with your money? I would have the tendency to listen to him. But folks, this is a big deal. You have to understand what it means to open up an LLC in your name. There's accountabilities you know, go go to your state, go to your, you know, look up the information yourself and see how, see what that accountability is. You just can't go opening up a, 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 an LLC and thinking you can store precious metals for a, an IRA and think you can get away with it, that you don't have to account to the IRS in somehow, some way. You know, the IRS is always watching these, particularly when it comes to gold. And there is no zero wiggle room for any type of legal definitions using used in the tax code. You have to, it's very, 
I wouldn't want to mess with the IRS when it came to my precious metals. The whole point of taking physical delivery of your precious metals is for privacy. And you're just looking for that door to be opened and, and for them to perhaps, maybe this is a way they can take it. If you don't comply to their rules, and I know you all say, well, they have to come and get it first. Well, that's all fine and dandy. But if, if you don't comply and if you're, if you're not compliant to the rules of the IRA, and they come in and say, well, now all of a sudden you owe $50,000 in back taxes. Are you going to have $50,000 to pay them? The IRS takes retirement accounts seriously. Many investors were taxed at a 50% rate for a similar scheme in the early 2000s. Companies that sell IRA LLCs, they're not going to stand by you legally. Most will completely disavow their role in the arrangement. They're only going to serve as a non-interested third party. And I don't believe there is one precious metals dealer that has been in business more than 10 years that offers this product. There's over 5,000 dealers in this country. So why do you think that none of them recommend it? So again, folks, be very careful out there. And um, I'm going to be very careful as I'm infringing on my 20-minute limit here. We're going to go to break here. Alfred and James Corbett from the Corbett Report will be joining you in just a few short minutes. obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out when life is too much to handle use apothecary herbs emotional stress formula feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee you've waited long enough call apothecary herbs now toll free 866 229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3Ws.thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, Kings have sought it. Nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. 
800-242-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. I'm Alfred Adask, and this is Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188 for all your gold and silver coin needs. Our guest is James Corbett from the Corbett Report, CorbettReport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T. James is one of the most prolific commentators on political and economic and social events, uh, and he's establishing something of a global reputation, recognition. Hello, James. How are you? I am offended that you uh, left literary literary analysis off that list because that's also hey. something I do. Okay. All right. I'll try to remember that last time. But at my age, you forget things, James. If I'm remembering people's names, I'm doing well a lot of times. I'm, saying, Who's I'm just pulling your leg. But yes, uh, yes, I'm just thinking of that because my most recent uh, post to my website was an uh, edition of my film literature in the New World Order series where we're talking about poetry. So I have very, very wide-ranging interests, apparently. I understand. It's fun to analyze things. It's interesting. I mean, and for me, it's fun um, to comment on things that, in parts, you don't know things you don't know about. That's part of the fun of commenting. It's a way of learning. It's not just a way of expressing what you know. It's a way of learning. You look at something, you think about, what can I say about that? Well, it forces you to learn things, or at least that's my experience. Do you agree? Do you find the process? I, of- I, I, I agree in a couple of different respects. Firstly, I wouldn't have done 99% of the research that I've done over the past decade if I didn't have a website. So it. Yeah. It impels me to do the research, which uh, which is great. Um, but secondly, also, yes, you're right. I think an exceptionally important part of understanding something is being able to explain it. And at first, you have to explain it to yourself and then put it in a form where you can explain it to others. And if you can explain a subject to other people, then the chances are you have some kind of a grasp on the issue. But if you yep. if you just if you're just reading and passively observing headlines, you probably um, are not coming to that same level of understanding. I think I've mentioned this to you once before. Uh, the ground, the the root, the etymol- etymological root for the word "read," as in "read a book," and you trace it back, and the word means guess. Reading is guessing. 
And the reason for that actually makes perfect sense because virtually every word you run across has multiple definitions. And if you take five words and they have, each one has, one has three definitions, one has two, one has five, one has four. You multiply that out three times five times four times seven, whatever it is, you can take five words that can have potentially scores of different meanings depending on which word, which definition you use all the way through. And when you look at this, you begin to understand it. Reading is really a remarkable concept, a remarkable capacity. It's almost mystical when you really get into it, where it becomes fascinating on that basis. So you do the research, it forces you to read, it forces you to speculate, forces you to guess, it forces you to put the pieces together where they begin to make sense. Really very educational. It's one of the finest things you can do. If you want to educate yourself, learn to read. I have an interesting let's but I've been waiting for I've been waiting here for this for this this program. Because uh, last week after I don't know how long have I been interviewing you on this program? Uh, it's been a couple of years now. Yeah, it's a couple of years now. <laughs> and I have tried to get you to make predictions from time to time. <laughs> And you have always had the good sense not to do it <laughs> until last week. You made a prediction, wow, that's never going to happen. And even if it does, they won't let it happen. Well, well, what about that? It appears that Brexit did happen. Mm-hmm. That's true. I will I will eat crow. I certainly expected them to steal the vote. Yep. Um, and, of course, there are those who are saying that they did steal the vote, but they stole the vote specifically to make Brexit happen because it benefits the banksters and the globalists. So there's a lot of diverging opinion, but I will absolutely admit I certainly did not expect this to Brexit to, to go ahead. Not, I don't think Nigel Farage thought it was going to win. I heard that he was scheduled to deliver a speech somewhere the day before the Brexit referendum, and he just essentially said, screw it, I'm going to go have dinner with my son. Didn't even show up for the speech. It was my understanding, judging from his conduct, that he didn't think it was going to be successful. (laughs) And then it turned out, oh my gosh, really was. And it's had effects that are just extraordinary. We got an article here from an English publication called The Express. It says, EU backlash, Brexit tsunami expected as 34 referendums set to rock union. All right, European Union is about to be rocked by a political tsunami with right-wing parties across the continent calling for dozens of in-out referendums. Brexit is expected to inspire dozens of other referenda across Europe. A study of the European Council of Foreign Relationships revealed so-called extreme insurgent parties are calling for a total of 34 public votes with matters ranging from countries' membership, their country's membership in the EU to refugee policy. Is this a temporary wave, or are we really going to see a tsunami here? This is the dissolution or the destabilization of the status quo for Europe. Um, the EU is going to look and function differently in the future than it has in the past. There's going to be, this is clearly a seismic event that changes the the playing field. Now, I will certainly agree with those who say that it doesn't necessarily change it for the better. There is a way that all of this can lead to a, a giant fracturing that 
ultimately plays into the hands of the very same people that seem to be losing here. But I think something is clearly taking place here and something is going to change. And it really depends who has the upper hand in terms of enacting, actually enacting the next stage of what happens and what doesn't happen. And I just posted in the forecaster last uh, on Wednesday, an article explaining about a newly released document from the German and French foreign ministers. They co-wrote a document that they then presented to something called the Weizgrad group of company uh, countries, Poland, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Slovakia, that they held in a meeting this week that's essentially proposing the EU super state that we all know that the EU has always wanted to be. Uh, It contained uh, ideas for a European security compact that includes up to and including actual full-time standing European uh, defense forces, military forces, uh, a common asylum and migration policy enacted by a European asylum agency that they proposed setting up, and a completed, quote-unquote, economic and monetary union, i.e. really the dissolution of the individual central banks and the, uh, the, the e- making the ECB into the central fiscal manager of the entire Eurozone area. So there is certainly the, 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 the dual tensions here between this rising nationalism and the, the drive to get out of the EU and the, 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 the same Eurocrats who have always wanted to control everything coming in and trying to step in and, and you know, grasp the, the dream of the European superstate. Um, it's going to be extremely interesting to see how all this plays out. But unfortunately, as you know, that word interesting can be the double-edged sword, speaking of reading <laughs> yeah. multiple things into words. <laughs> We have the Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. We certainly do. When the European, when the, the the European Union managers, administrators, powers, whoever, when they're proposing this super state, if I'm understanding correctly, this proposal has only been made public since Brexit. My understanding, again, as you outlined, they're also proposing a an EU army. They say the European Union can't rely on NATO and needs a new defense policy, according to the Brussels chief. Are these people throwing their weight around, or are they making a last desperate grasp for power? Are they doing this, or are they saying, ah, we can handle this, or are they saying, oh, my God, we'd better grab whatever we can? Here's what it it looks like to me. This proposal supposedly was drawn up substantially before Brexit. Most of these ideas were already worked on before Brexit, but they just kind of added in a little bit of rhetoric about Brexit to the document as that happened. So this is, I mean, and certainly this has been the ultimate agenda for the EU for a very long time. But here's the puzzling thing about this. So this this document that that is now available, you can go read it online um, via tvp.info, which is a uh, broadcaster in Poland. Um, They managed to get this uh, leaked document. As I say, it was specifically presented by the German foreign minister who attended this Weissgrad group of countries meeting um, to Poland, the Czech Republic, Hungary and Slovakia, at least two of which two of those countries, Poland and Hungary, have been very much on the outs with the European Union in the last few months specifically and in the last few years, really. Um, Poland specifically was um, outright uh, chided by the EU. I think it was earlier this month. Uh, they were chided by the EU for having uh, uh, basically not going along with the, 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 with the EU standards. They, they, there's a constitutional 
fixing matter before the Poland Supreme Court that the EU doesn't like the Polish government's decision, blah, blah, blah. But um, it's it's a pretty unusual step for the EU to outright say that they're unhappy with one of the members and what the way they're, they're dealing. So for them to come with this EU superstate document and present it in what was described by um, the Polish, I believe the Polish foreign minister as a quote unquote ultimatum, i.e., you know, here's an offer you can't refuse, um, is is particularly puzzling because these are the countries that would be most uh, most unlikely to to go along with this. So it almost seems to me like this is a document, a proposal, a plan that is supposed to fail. I mean, especially to come along with this in the midst of this nationalist uprising that is really fundamentally shaking up the EU right now to to pretty much come out and say, yes, you know, all of those quote unquote conspiracy theorists are right. We do want a super state. We do want an army. We do want to consolidate more power. It's bizarre. It's bizarre timing. It's a bizarre way of doing it unless unless the point is to exacerbate what's happening right now, to stir up those nationalist tensions, to break it apart. And then you have to think, well, what could be the point of that? Why would these people who spend all this time building up the EU now start to try to break it apart? And there are a number of different things we can look at there. But um, that's that's the way I have to read this document, especially the timing and context of it. I've got another article here, and the headline is Angela Merkel's open-door policy caused the migrant crisis Curious George Soros blast. He's allegedly blaming her even for for Brexit, if I'm understanding this correctly. Um, Soros said German Chancellor Angela Merkel's decision to open her country's door wide to refugees was not properly thought out because it ignored the poll factor. A sudden influx of asylum seekers disrupted people in their everyday lives across the European Union. The lack of adequate controls, moreover, created panic affecting everyone, the local population, the authorities in charge of public safety, and the refugees themselves. And he's saying Angela Merkel is ultimately responsible for what we've seen as a reaction to Brexit. Do you think the actual blame can be pinned on anyone, any one person? Uh, perhaps Soros, Soros himself, actually. Um, the, they, that's the interesting part about this, Soros yeah, coming yeah. out and trying to play Merkel. Call the kettle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a, there's a headline um, from Breitbart from last year, Soros admits involvement in migrant crisis. National borders are the obstacle. And it goes on to talk about how uh, the Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban was calling out Soros by name specifically, Soros being Hungarian by birth anyway, um, as, as someone who was behind what was th- this, this migration crisis that's happening in Europe. And uh, apparently um, uh, Soros issued an email statement to Bloomberg Business claiming his foundations help uphold European values while Mr. Orban's action is strengthening the Hungarian border and stopping the migrant influx undermine those values. So Soros in the past has has even openly talked about being, you know, in favor of this policy that he's now decrying, which is, I mean, it's uh, perhaps par, par for the course. We should expect a lot of, uh, of disinformation and misinformation spread by people like Soros, uh, at the very least for their own personal profit. And it's not hard to understand what kind of profit opportunities there are in something like this, especially because Soros was the person who famously made a large portion of his uh, uh, f- fortune 
in Black Wednesday 1992 when the UK was kicked out of the European uh, the exchange rate mechanism, I believe it was referred to. It was basically the pre-ECB version of uh, the way of they were trying to set and harmonize interest rates across Europe. The UK was kicked out of it because they couldn't um, keep their interest rates in line uh, with their with what they wanted because they kept having to manipulate the currency because people like Soros were betting against it. And they bet long enough and large enough that ultimately the UK had to remove or be removed from the ERM, which made uh, all of Soros's bets against the pound come true. The pound lost value and Soros profited to the tune of one and a half billion dollars or one and a half billion. Yeah, one billion pounds, one and a half billion dollars. And lo and behold, right before Brexit, you have uh, Soros coming out with op-eds in, in The Guardian uh, saying, you know, Brexit is going to cause a crisis. It's going to cause the, the pound to turn down. You know, you, you must vote against this. Um, it ends up being voted for. The pound does, of course, uh, uh, start to not not crash, but there's a, uh, a mini uh, crash, I suppose, in the pound. And we are led to believe Soros took a hit on all of this because Bloomberg, of all places, is reporting, well, Soros, you know, uh, has probably lost money because of his uh, publicly stated positions on, on stocks and gold this year. I, I don't really trust that. I think, actually, he's probably, you know, betting behind the scenes. But that's the thing with pronouncements from investors like Soros. Yeah. They have direct financial stake in what they are saying and what gets portrayed to the media and what happens. So I, I think everything that comes control. out from him with a huge grain of salt. They don't just observe. They have not absolute control, but enormous disproportionate influence. And they can kind of make things happen. So people look at him, are they, is this a prophet or is this a manipulator? You know, he, what he says, when, when Soros speaks, everybody listens. That's, that's one of the realities of this, unfortunately. And uh, I don't know, we've got about 30 seconds left. Do you think, can you think of anything to be done that can diminish the influence of people like Soros? And should they be, should that influence be diminished? Should it be limited? Uh, well, yes, but that should be the outcome, not the means, by which I mean we shouldn't be trying to find ways to make laws to limit, you know, this or that action. What we should be doing is taking away the big stick of big government and laws and regulations that these people wield and use as their way of gaining their fortunes. That's the real trick of all of this. All right, let's take a break for a couple of commercials, and I'll be back with James Corbett in just a moment on financial survival. Please stay tuned. discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with Salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 
or order online at the three W's dot thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm Alfred Adams here with James Corbett from thecorbettreport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T report.com for some of the best analysis and uh, um, commentary on politics, economics, and even literary um, subjects. I want to run something by you that's just crossed my mind. I am reminded, Brexit reminds me of the Arab Spring of 2010 when one Tunisian street peddler became so angry with injustice and poverty that he doused himself with gasoline, set himself on fire, and died. Now, you would sit back and say, oh, I mean, no oh, big deal, some street peddler in Tunisia set himself on fire, as if that's going to make a difference. And yet it triggered what became the Arab Spring, and we had major insurgencies in Syria, Libya, Yemen, Civil uprisings in Egypt and Bahrain, street demonstrations in Algeria, Iraq, Jordan, Kuwait, Morocco, and Oman, and minor protests even in Saudi Arabia. One man's death made the world change, at least in the Middle East and North Africa. Pretty amazing. I'm wondering, are we seeing something similar with Brexit? Has Brexit triggered something that we might come to call the European Spring? a little bit different, uh, but if you catch my point, a very yes, small, yes, yes. very small, seemingly a trivial event has all of a sudden, my God, we're having waves. It is a tsunami, or at least it seems to be. Yes, I agree with the point you're making, but perhaps not for the way that you're you're framing it, because uh, I think there, there are parallels with the Arab Spring, but the Arab Spring has to be understood not as the spontaneous uprising that it was portrayed as based on, you know, the, the man setting himself on fire or anything of that sort. It was absolutely part of a years-long careful planning process that involved the State Department, the CIA, Soros, and uh, the pro-Israel lobby, um, all of which had, an, had a role in, in that. And one example of, I mean, there are a lot of different places that put those dots, dots, dots together, but I would encourage your listeners to read The Arab Spring Made in the USA, uh, which is a review of Arabesque's um, uh, a book by Ahmed Benasta on 
globalresearch.ca, and it lays out uh, some of the, the foundations and forums and, and uh, funding agencies that were behind that um, uh, forum, FICRA, um, the Esther K. Wagner Family Foundation, et cetera, and, and the, some of those connections and how they were used. Um, so I think we have to understand these types of events happen not because of the way they're often portrayed, it's all some spontaneous uprising, but because they have been shepherded in um, usually after years of preparation. And I do think what's happening in the European Union has to be seen in the light of that. I think, for example, the migration crisis has been the perfectly predictable outcome of the, the types of policies that we've seen people like Merkel making in recent years at the behest of people like Soros. And once we follow that chain of causation back, then yes, I think this is a, a, a potentially very quote-unquote revolutionary Thing. It's certainly going to change the way things are operating, but not for the reasons that we're told. And also, like the Arab Spring, what really changed in places like Egypt? I mean, ultimately, yes, you got rid of one particular manifestation of the military dictatorship that was uh, perched over that country. But yeah, well, actually, it's the same one. It's just it has a different face now. I mean, it's the same military junta that rules over Egypt. It's just they got rid of the, the dictator face of that. Well, I look at it from the perspective, it may be that there are people that are instigating these these peculiar circumstances, but they are fueled by a dissatisfaction in the body politic. And in my, from my perspective, whether the guy set, him on, set himself on fire by accident or by intent or from some sort of a conspiracy, all by itself, if if things were good, it would not have had a significant impact. I don't think they can make 100,000 people march down the street. I don't think that can be manipulated unless they're already ready, ready, they're angry enough to march. And then one small thing, and the point I'm getting to in part is, we may not need a black swan to trigger some sort of an economic collapse. Maybe all we need is a black sparrow, just a small thing. We're looking for a big bird, you know, come gliding in with big wings and the rest of it and it lands with a certain amount of weight. That might not be, we may not get a black swan. Maybe just a black sparrow is enough if the public is already angry enough to do something like vote for uh, Trump. Yes, right. Yes. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. And I agree completely with the point that you're making, because sometimes the analysis gets too simplified, too simplistic, as if. I mean, when we, we talk about ISIS being a CIA creation or something, uh, some people might take that to mean there are literally no real ISIS fighters, that they're all secretly working for the CIA or something. There's no real people who actually believe in Islamic State. No, there. Uh, of course, these, these types of movements are predicated on this base of people who actually hold these various views. It's always a question of who is funding the, uh, the organizations and who is running the organizations and which organizations are allowed to proceed in advance and, and reach their goals and which are not. And one prime example from history that you can go and take a look at the source documentation on, which has since been declassified, is Operation uh, TP Ajax uh, in Iran in 1953, where they overthrew Mohammad Mossadegh. Obviously, not um, I, I, the, the the protests against him involved real people, many of whom were protesting for real reasons, but some of whom were actually just simply funded and paid to protest by the CIA and their accomplices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can look at the way that they stir these things up and they use money and they use power and influence to grease the skids for various 
um, movements and then other movements that aren't on board with the agenda, so to speak, can, can be easily quashed. And we can look at various many examples of that in recent history as well. So uh, I think you're right. I mean, it requires real people to really be upset, but there's always real people who are really upset with any government in any place. It's a question of who gets the funding and the means and the motive and the opportunity to do all of this. You know, I had a friend of mine named Terry Lofton back in the 90s. He's passed away. Um, but back then, he was, a, he was a fanatic about buying law books. I helped him one day go over to SMU, Southern Methodist University. The law library was selling off tons, tons of old law books. And I helped him load up a pickup truck bed full of law books. I don't believe he ever read them, but he collected them. All right? <clears throat> he went to an estate sale, and he found some wealthy guy. In a mansion, had died, and they were just selling all his property. It included three three ring binders that were identified as operation manuals for the Federal Reserve. Total of three of them. It wasn't three copies. It was one copy. There were three three separate books that comprised this operations manual for the Federal Reserve. He read through the documents. And he found, I don't remember what all he found, but the one that stuck in my mind is it was completely contrary to their policy. They would not fund. And this was probably the operations manual from in the 1980s. It wasn't current. It was probably 95 when he got it. It wasn't current. It was, it might have been a decade or more old, but they specifically said we will not authorize lending money to alternative energy. All right. Wind, solar. Uh, whatever else you can think of. The only thing they would lend money to would be uranium, coal, and crude oil. If, you, if your energy is coming out of those three basic energies, yes, you can get some money, but they would not sanction lending money to the alternative energy. Well, the point is, by simply controlling the flow of money, they can control technology. Who gets the money? And if you don't get money, how are you going to produce? I don't care how smart you are. How are you going to produce anything if you don't have any money? And so it was an interesting insight into how the system operated. He later sold those books to an airline pilot for 100 bucks, And he later threw them out because they weren't doing him any good. And it galls me to this day that that happened. I never got my hands on myself, and I would really like to have seen it, but never did. In any case, it's consistent with what you're saying. Control the flow of money, and you can determine... Who is uh, going to make it and who's not? Here's when we look at when we look at the situation back in with the Brexit, and compared to the Arab Spring and now maybe a European Spring. Um, it seems that one person, or one one nation, can do something stupid or perhaps even heroic, and all of a sudden nations, surrounding nations, can be overthrown. That's the kind of lesson of the Arab Spring and the and the Brexit and what's happening here right now. And what it raises the question, is anyone really in control right now? For the moment, is any appearance of control more than illusory, or is it all up for grabs? Um, I suppose it depends how you define that control. Um, control is, uh, in the sense that there's some, you know, person or group of people that can control every outcome or every thought that's going through everyone's head, of course not. But if, if the, uh, if the, uh, if the, if the suggestion is that control is the ability to actually Im impact the, 
the political course of of, of events, um, then obviously that control does exist. So so let's put this in the EU context, the Brexit context. Again, the question isn't whether or not you know every every person is on board with the uh, agenda of the globalists and the, the the push towards globalization. Clearly, they're not. But their vote um, to get out of the EU could can serve to benefit the EU if it's the same collectivists and globalists and people who are generally on the side of the EU who are still in political control because they can take whatever mechanisms they have at their disposal to basically throw the train back on that course. And one example of how that can play out, I mean, there are so many different ways this can play out. And let's not forget, at this point, still, Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty has not been invoked. So the negotiations for the Britain to even begin leaving the EU have not even begun. But even if and when that does happen, the negotiations certainly don't say in what form this, you know, the ultimate relationship between the UK, UK and the EU will take. And it's perfectly plausible that they will have some sort of relationship going forward that will be the EU in all but name. I mean, that's one of the possible outcomes here. And again, it doesn't necessarily mean that every single person's innermost thoughts have to be controlled so much as the overall political process, um, be, the control over the political process is maintained. Yeah, I agree with you. Some people, do they have control? No, but they have more control than I do. And that makes me right. suspicious of them. Um, there's a certain amount of jealousy when it comes to this. Got one last question for you. About three and a half minutes left. I clipped this article a couple of weeks ago, and it's the headline was "The Alliance of Neutral States: Putin's Anti-NATO Grand Design for the Balkans." Putin was trying to put it together an alliance of neutral states that weren't for Europe, weren't for NATO, weren't for Russia. He wanted, but he wanted an alliance with them, and he wanted them to maintain their status as neutral states. And I was curious what you thought about that idea. But today, we see an article in uh, Express again that says how Brexit has fractured Europe countries, EU countries, leading rebellion against founding nations. And they have a map of the nations that are founding members that met in Berlin, and that would be Italy, France, Luxembourg, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany. And then they have on the other side of a line here, there's a fracture line here that separates them from what used to be East Europe or Communist Europe. And it's pointing out, and it's alleging that this, these nations that were formerly part of Communist Europe, they're the ones that are saying, hey, we want out. We're thinking about getting out of here. Does this serve Russia's interest? Is Russia winning on this thing? Does I Russia think, help Russia? I think we have to look at the European Union from its very inception, even as an idea, even before it became a, a, a treaty of any sort. We have to look at it as part of the long-term great game that was played by the British Empire and is... I'm sure still played by the Anglo-American power to keep Germany divided from Russia. I think that has always been the geopolitical, geostrategic initiative in Europe for the Atlanticist powers because Germany and Russia make, I mean, the, the relationship between them should be a lot closer than it is. They make uh, obvious trading partners with each other. And in fact, even with all the sanctions and all of the the, uh, the, the wedge that's been driven between Europe and Russia, uh, the, Germany and Russia still do do a lot of trade and still their economies are still important for each other. Um, so if and when Germany and Russia decided and, and realized, hey, our best interest would be in being friends and trading with each other rather than, you know, participating in sanctions against each other and all of this, that would be a huge blow to well, certainly to the Anglo-American um, side of the, the equation, who obviously want to keep that 
nexus from being formed. So I think we have to look at the EU as a way of, of creating that buffer between Germany and Russia. And yes, I mean, there's one way in which this can play out in which Eastern Europe starts to gravitate more towards the Russian sphere of influence. And who knows, maybe somewhere down the road, Germany could actually decide that it's in their best interest to be more aligned with Europe, uh, Russia than with uh, Western Europe. And if that happened, I mean, imagine how much of a, a change in, in geopolitical relations that would bring about. I mean, I think that's, that's why the, the European project, one of the reasons it has been so important um, for, for the Anglo-American specifically access to, uh, to, to try to, to keep and maintain and, and grow so that they can use it as a wedge between Germany and Russia. Not enough for maybe 30 seconds more. What about the relationship between Turkey and the European Union? Is that going to blossom? Is Turkey going to be, are they going to join or will they be kept out? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, again, if I, I, this goes against everything that all of these nationalist movements that are rising in Europe right now would want. No, none of them really want Turkey to be a part of this European Union. That's one of the reasons I think that people are, are so upset and trying to leave the European Union. So if the EU super state proceeds, I'm sure those people would be fully on board with uh, subsuming Turkey or being subsumed by Turkey, I guess, depending which way you look at it. But uh, but uh, this is going to cause the, the inevitable backlash. So again, I I think the backlash has to be understood and is being factored into these equations. I think the theme for the coming years is civil war in America, in Europe. It is coming and there are battle lines being formed right now, not between nations, but within nations. And that's going to be the real thing we're going to see starting to spill out into the streets. Uh, in well, as we years. said, we live in interesting times, James, and they're going to get more interesting. And everyone seems to know that we're out of time. I want to thank you, as always, for being on the program. Always interesting talking to you, James. Enjoy your perspective. Hope to see you again next week. In the meantime, folks, uh, Bella and I will be back tomorrow. Hope you'll tune in. And uh, may the good Lord bless each and every one of you and me, Frank the Producer, and James Corbett. Good night. All night I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? Still there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too bad. In my dream, I have a plan. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. 
people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Folks, 
Good afternoon. I am your host, Jay Shanahan. And this is the Condition Critical Show. It's my live show, ladies and gentlemen, for Thursday, the 30th day. I believe it is the last day of June 2016. And it's now five minutes past the, uh, hold on, let me adjust my volumes here, past the two o'clock or I'm so, yeah, the 2 o'clock hour. Okay, sorry, I was distracted. Okay, I just uh, adjusted some things there. Okay, where was I? And you're listening right here on the American Voice Radio Network. Let's get all the administrative stuff out of the way. Again, my live show for Thursday, gentlemen. What else? Call in number 1-800-932-1980. 1-800-932-1980. You can go to the AmericanVoice.com. As I talked about yesterday, and as uh, many of you are should be aware, Frank is you know, doing a lot of maintenance and working on uh, both sites and the chat room and all that. Everything's functional and it works, and you can listen, and all the basics uh, are there. So you can uh, go there, and, and like I said, all the basics are there. I have a website, conditioncriticalshow.com. I have a blog. I'm pretty active on my blog. talked about uh, yesterday my latest article. Uh, well, I have another one. So I'm going to kind of talk about that one a little bit here as soon as we get into some things. I uh, just want to get the administrative stuff out of the way. And lastly, about the donate uh, portion, because that's an important component, uh, ladies and gentlemen, of uh, these radio shows and of these radio networks. It, it, uh, there is an expense involved. That's just the way it is, you know. So you can visit my donate link and uh, do whatever you feel like you want to. But as I always say, more importantly, it's critical that you visit the donate link at American Voice Radio, the, the network itself. That's the critical one. It, it needs to be uh, supported. It's, it just does. And so go there, click the donate link, donate $5. Frank would appreciate it, and so would I. All right. If I left anything out, just chime in in the chat room. Hey, like Clint has just done, he's just gave me a shout-out. Hey, Clint, I see you. There in the chat room. Good to see you today. All right, let's just uh, let's just get into some things. Well, yesterday after my show, uh, you may not be aware, but uh, I didn't go for my walk yesterday because I had another engagement uh, actually, and went to a baseball game, a professional baseball game, which I rarely do for a number of reasons. Uh, but I went, and this is the second game that I've been to up at uh, uh, Seattle. It's called Safeco Field, where the Mariners play. Hey, like I said, I normally wouldn't go. I'm not a big fan anymore. And again, it's just kind of a, for benign reasons. You know, mostly because, you know, having moved out here from Pennsylvania so many years ago, uh, you know, of course, I was a fan of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and that's who the Mariners played yesterday, by the way. And, you know, the Steelers, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Philadelphia Flyers hockey team, and you know, East Coast, so you move out here, West Coast, and I think I've talked about it before, and, you know, you just don't see those teams, obviously, I mean, because you're out here and you see the West Coast teams, and so you just kind of, over time, I I just lost interest. I didn't, you know, I didn't do like a, I guess, a proper sports fan is supposed to do, which is, I don't know, maybe continue to follow his teams from afar or adopt, like, some new teams, like the Mariners or the, the Seahawks, who I despise. And, you know, I just, anyway, I don't, I don't watch sports or anything. But, but I have to say, you know, again, this is the second time I've been to a game up there. The last time was, I'm trying to think, it's been a while. It's been six, seven years ago. 
I had actually won some tickets. I, I won like four, t- four tickets uh, off of a radio station, a call-in show. Not really a call-in show, but uh, Dory Monson has a, he's a radio personality out here, and, and he still is. And he's on Cairo. He's on that station I talk about so often. And he's a pretty good radio commentator, and I, which is funny because I've always referenced the other ones, and they're, they're terrible. Dory Monson's actually pretty good, so maybe I'll try and hijack some of his content at times here for you guys and give you a taste of them. But anyway, he used to have a segment on Fridays, and I forget what it was called, but it was something like, uh, you, you, you know, something like, uh, I forget exactly, but how well were you, were you paying attention this week, essentially, to, to what went on, like the news or whatever? So he would have two people call in, right? And it was just whatever, the, the first people that got through or something. And I used to try and get through every Friday. Well, one Friday I got through. So it was me and some dude from Everett, right? So now, and then what Dory would do is he would ask a question, like a, a news question or something like that. And you had to guess it right or I forget exactly how it went. Anyway... I destroyed the guy because, you know, I'm in freaking, I'm a kook that way. And I just, I'm a news junkie, right? So, yeah, I won four tickets. Anyway, that's how I got there. It was kind of cool. So I went to the game and I was pretty impressed, really. It's a beautiful stadium. There's not a bad seat in the house. And they're, they're, it's kind of their claim to fame or Safeco Field's claim to fame is there's not a bad seat in the house. So if you like baseball, you know, Safeco Field's a pretty good place to go watch a baseball game. And last night was no exception. It's a really, you know, the weather was nice, and it's now this is an open-air kind of one of these retro stadiums, but obviously it's, well, it's, it's not brand, brand new, but it's, I mean, as far as stadiums go, it's pretty new. I think it opened in, uh, you know, I don't know when it opened, actually. It's been a while, but uh, anyway, it's a nice stadium. Pittsburgh Pirates destroyed the Seattle Mariners. I think the final score uh, was 8-1. to one. And the Mariners just look like a Little League team. I mean, they did. They just looked completely flat on their feet. And they were the home team. It was as if almost they were the away team and had traveled as far as Pittsburgh had, right? You would think Pittsburgh have, you know, obviously traveling the whole way across the country. You'd think they would be kind of flat-footed. Uh, but that wasn't the case. So I just kind of want to do, uh, you know, share that with you. I don't want to get too negative about it either. You know, I mean, I'm not a fan, but I'm not a fan in a, you know, you know, like in a negative sense. I mean, I guess there's maybe a little bit, it could be a little bit of negativity in that, but, uh, but there are some differences. I mean, I wrote, okay, let's just get to my blog post then. And the title of it is, just let me go to it here, gentlemen. <laughs> you know, this may be kind of an ominous title. Maybe I could re- retitle it. I titled it another sign that the end is near. And then in parentheses, I put uh, as if we needed another one. Okay. So I was just trying to be kind of Clever, but just, you know, make a point. And, and here's the thing. I mean, you know, kind of the point I was trying to make, you know, in, in the article that I wrote. And if you go to my blog, and actually, I, and it's, it's finished, guys. Uh, but I may add just a little bit more commentary to it at the end. Uh, so I'll post it for you in the chat room. You can maybe just kind of follow along. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, that should work, ladies and gentlemen. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of not the same. I mean, because, look, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys got it, you know, or have gotten it or have got the sense of it that I'm kind of old school when it comes to things, right? A little bit old school there. And so, hey, man, when you go to a ball game, uh, the first thing you do is buy a program, right? And so I did. It's right here. Let me get it. I mean, that's the first thing you do. Uh, 
Because, like I said, I used to be a huge Pirates fan, and we used to go to Pirates games all the time. My brother Dave and my brother Tim, you know, when he got out of the service, he had, of course, he was older and had a vehicle and a driver license and whatever, and we'd go to the Pirates games. And we, you could get back then, uh, this, was with th- this was at Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh, you could buy the Peanut Heaven, it was called, that was like way, 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 way up, like the nosebleed section, right, of Three River Stadium. And it was a dollar. The, the tickets were a dollar. I mean, so... I mean, come on, really? So, and it, but the thing is, you could sit anywhere you wanted because at the time the Pirates were terrible, right? So this was a stadium, Three River Stadium, you know, that seated like you know seven hundred thousand people, right? I'm exaggerating; it was huge, but there was like, you know, eighteen people there, you know. And again, I'm exaggerating, but so you could really just move around and sit anywhere you want. The ushers just, I mean, what are they going to do? Say no? You can't sit here. There's like seven thousand people at a fifty thousand seat stadium. I mean, come on. So anyway, you go there, and I remember, so you buy a program, right? And back then, okay, so I'm holding this program. Now, as I remember, and if there's any baseball fans out there that have been to games old school, now the cost of it is 3 bucks, which, okay, I, okay, I, I expected to pay more just because you just, you just do anymore, right? But 3 bucks, okay, that's, you know, I mean, they used to be like 50 cents or a buck. Okay, that's, so that was, okay, fine, I'm okay with that. But as I kind of... You know, I didn't notice it right away because I wanted to keep a box score, right? So the first thing I noticed, right, when I bought the program, again, and it wasn't the price, was that you didn't get, the, you didn't get a little pencil with it like you used to, right? I thought that was odd, and I just thought it in my head. I'm like, there's no, he didn't offer me the little pencil, right? Remember, guys? And there was no little uh, pencil holder, kind of little cup or something that you just, and they were free, right? There wasn't anything. Oh, that's kind of weird. And so... I, and I, of course, I don't bring who carries a pencil with them, right? And so my wife's like, well, here, I got a pen. And I'm like, no, 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 you, that's, that's no. <laughs> that's sacrilege. You don't use a pen to keep a box score in a program. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's, you got to use a pencil, man. So I went to one of the souvenir stands and bought a not-so-small pencil. And I thought I expected to pay like $17 for it, you know, but it was only a buck. Now, that's a lot, I guess, for a pencil. And it's right here. It's a nice pencil. There's Seattle Mariners on it and whatever. But it's, like I said, a not-so-small pencil. But guess what? The program has changed and so dr- dramatically that it's not pencil-friendly if you catch my drift. So, I mean, I'm trying to, as I, right now, as I try, I could try and write like a name in the lineup section, right, which I'll get to that, the lineup. And you can't. It's not pencil-friendly because the paper that is you know, used is, is kind of magazine-ish, right? If you catch my drift. The old school programs were more like paper, like regular, remember? Like paper. And you could write on it with a pencil. Well, you can't write on it. Actually, we couldn't even write on it with a pen. Now, that may have been a re- uh, uh, as a result of the pen itself not being a very good quality pen. But I can tell you that that pen works because I have it right here. And uh, as I write on my tablet, it works. It's you know, there's nothing wrong with the, the ballpoint, if you will, and the ink. It's okay, but it just wouldn't, this isn't a very friendly uh, paper to write on with a pencil or a pen. So we stopped keeping a box score, right? Which isn't easy, by the way. I've never been very good at it. Uh, and you really have to pay attention. I mean, you really have to pay attention. Well, at least if you're not very good at it, you do. So, so there's, there was that. Uh, what else? Now about the program. Okay, a couple other things, and it's mostly about the program that I noticed. It's, it's different. 
And to me, not in a good way. It's just, you know, and I don't mean that. I don't mean to be too negative, though, okay? But the old school programs, guys, again, not only did I not get the small pencil and, you know, the whole paper is not pencil friendly and all that, but it used to come with a lineup card, right? So you could write the lineup in. It used to come, now, back in the day at the Three River Stadium, it was like a, I don't know, it was like a postcard size lineup, right? Okay, it just was. That's, it was. And it was like in the middle, right? And there it was. So you had the lineup. You didn't have to, like, wait for it or do it as the players came to bat, which that works too, but it used to come with a lineup card. Okay, another glaring example of, uh, you know, another sign the end is near, but there's more. And again, sticking with the program. The programs used to have on the front cover the specific matchup and the date that the game was being played, like, for instance, yesterday. Now, I'm looking at this program, and it has a picture of Robinson Cano. He's one of the players. That's fine. And it's Go Mariners. It's got a little kind of some baseball motif. Cool, fine. But nowhere on the front cover does it say Pittsburgh Pirates versus Seattle Mariners, what would have been June 29, 2016. Nowhere. Nowhere in this magazine, which is, I guess, what it is now. It's no longer a program, I guess, anymore. And you know what, guys? It isn't because in the back, they got ads. And I just now I just opened this up. I, I just saw this. You know, this is pretty offensive, really. Now, now, now I got to say something negative. I, I didn't even see this. This is ridiculous. There's an ad in here for a freaking strip club. I kid you not. So here's a scantily clad, okay, she's an attractive female. I'm a guy, okay, so she's a decent-looking blonde, okay, with some lingerie on, okay? It's a strip club ad. It's a strip club ad. I just saw this. Wow. All right. Well, I apologize for that. Uh, I didn't want this to, to, but but there you go. I guess it's just another sign that the end is near. Dream girls at Soto. Soto is is spelled S-O-D-O. And it's an it's a area of Seattle, meaning south of the Dome, which is the old kingdom, right? It's no longer there. But that area of the city became known as, well, everything south of the, where the kingdom used to sit is still called the Soto District. Okay, well, apparently there's a strip club down there called the Gentleman's Club. And it says, Mariners fans, show your game day ticket at the door for a $10 off it. Of, $10 off admission before, after, or during the game. So before, after, or during. So before? So I guess you buy the tickets. Wait, show you the So I guess if, if it's before the game, I guess you just don't go to the game. I guess you just buy the tickets. That doesn't make any sense. You wouldn't do that because the tickets are $700, and so you're just getting $10 off. Well, I guess it depends on how much it is to get into the club. Anyway, one block south of Safeco Field, so it's close. And they even give the address, and there's a phone number, and there is a website, dreamgirls-seattle.com. Well, there you go. So if that, okay, doesn't take the cake, ah, there you go. What else? Let's, but, you know, I did enjoy myself, okay? Uh, I really did. Uh, baseball is, is a cool game. I mean, it really is a cool game. And, you know, these are professionals, man, okay? You know, I like to joke. You know, I made a couple of references like, man, I would have hit that pitch and put it over and blah, blah, blah. My wife, yeah, okay, whatever. But uh, yeah, I had a good time otherwise. So 
All right. Let's move on. I want to keep things kind of light today. I have a couple of, I have a quiz. It's going to be a fun quiz, I think. And it's about the Civil War. It's just something kind of neat. I have a list from, uh, uh, it's like a prepper's list. And that'll be kind of interesting. And I'm going to talk about that. And I'm also going to uh, talk about, and I've been meaning to do this, and I'm going to have to get to it in the second part of the show here. Uh, I'm going to talk about the difference between 308 Winchester and 762 by 51 NATO, which are the same thing, kind of, but they're not. Because there's chatter in the chat room uh, often about the two calibers and what the difference is. And there are differences. So I, I'm going, and I'm by no means an expert, nor am I a ballistic expert, but I have a little bit of experience and I have a, a little bit of knowledge in, in the matter. And, you know, there was a, a particular gentleman, and he may not be listening at the moment, but perhaps and he can catch it in the archives uh, when Frank puts it up because he had to, you know, and, but and other people have asked the question as well. And so, but, and look, it is important. Uh, it, you know, the difference is kind of small, like I said, but at the same time, it could be catastrophic, catastrophic if you, you know, go outside of the parameters. So I just, I'm going to talk about that. So I've taken up most of the first half of the show here talking about baseball and which is fine because like I said, I had a good time. And, uh, and again, the pirates won the game. It was what eight to one. I took some pictures, you know, with my handy dandy iPhone and kind of sent them uh, to Frank kind of, you know, kind of live, you know? And so, and it was, it was attended pretty well. Uh, and that's another thing. Uh, cause I asked her late in the game, Hey, did you, anybody hear the attendance? Cause remember it, 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 back. Okay. It, this is, I remember like in the seventh or, you know, in the later innings, the, the public address announcer would announce the attendance. I never heard them announce the attendance. So I don't know if that has changed too. It just seems to me, you know, and I guess, I guess it's probably a product of just not going to baseball games enough, right? That you know, you know, it's you know, it's, it's been seven years at least, maybe since I had been to my last one. So maybe I've forgotten some things, or maybe you know how it is if you go often. Like if you go to a couple of games a year, and you do that, you know, religiously because you're a big fan, you probably don't. It's you know, you probably don't notice the changes as much because you go, and it's just. It's just like you, you don't recognize or notice your kids growing up in front of your eyes, right? But like your, your grandparents maybe or, or a, 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 an old friend that, you know, knew you and knew your, one of your children when they were like two or three or five or six. And then, you know, five or six years later, he comes to visit you and he's like, holy cow, who is that? That type of thing. You're like, oh, that's, uh, that's my son. Wow. He's, geez. He was like, yeah, right. Yeah. So maybe there's a little bit of that, but, uh. I, I don't want to be too overly critical, you know, of, of the game of baseball or the, uh, or the event itself. Because like I said, I mean, I really did. I, I really did have a good time. It was, and what it was, you know, because like I said, in the beginning, I normally just, I just normally wouldn't go to a baseball game. I just wouldn't. Cause I, I'm not a big fan, but it was of like a belated father's day gift uh, for my, uh, for my wife's father. So, and, given the fact that we're from back East, you know, we grew up, I grew up uh, very close to Pittsburgh. You know, I was born in Philadelphia, but grew up in the Pittsburgh area. Now, well, maybe 40 miles from Pittsburgh. Uh, hold on a second. Uh, hold on a second. Let me see something here. And so, uh, Oh, 
Frank asked, I, I took a picture with the Mariners moose and I was holding something in it and, and it was like a stick, right? And it had stuff on it. And Frank asked what that was. That was chocolate covered uh, strawberries that I had bought for my wife. I don't eat because I'm lactose intolerant. That probably would have been too much dairy for me. Uh, but it looked very good. My wife likes chocolate a lot. And, and those, Frank, were uh, chocolate-covered cherries stacked on the top of one another. It was, there were probably, I don't know, eight or seven of them, right, and dipped in chocolate. And they also had white chocolate swirls, right? They looked in, in it. And you would think, because when I saw them, I'm like, I went up and I'm like, oh, no, that looks like I go. And the first thing I asked was, what, what's the damage going to be on that? She's like, oh, that one's $7. And I'm like, oh, okay. Because, again, I'm, like, expecting to have to call the bank, right, and see if I can get a second mortgage. <laughs> I know I'm dramatic in that way, but you do pay for a lot generally for things at the ball stadium. And I've never got that, you know, I've never got that. Like I did buy a a soft pretzel, you know, and it was, I think $7 and 50 cents. That's just to me, uh, gratuitous. You know, I certainly didn't look a bottle of bottled water. Okay. Cause you can't bring your own in, but I somehow managed to get mine past security. Don't ask me how. Okay. I guess it's because I'm a domestic terrorist. Okay. But anyway, so yeah, cause a, a, just a bottle of bottled water, just like the one I'm holding here, the small ones, right? Or five bucks. Come on, man. Really? Really? A can of beer. Okay. $12 for a freaking can of beer. Uh, no. And Hey, I'm Irish and I do like a beer, but see, I guess that proves I'm not an alcoholic because I ain't paying $12 for a beer. So there you go. I see. Let's see. Okay. I got a couple of minutes before the break. I just kind of want to finish up with the baseball thing because, you know, I don't want to leave it on a sour note. I had a good time. Uh, you know, it helps when the weather's nice. That helps. It helps when you have good seats. But like I said, at Safeco Field, uh, gentlemen, uh, if you live in the area and you, you're even a mildly a fan of baseball, you should probably try and take in a game at uh, Safeco Field. And the tickets, I think the tickets were only, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not certain. I think they were only 17 bucks. That might sound like a lot, but I think that's how much they were. And we sat in the, what, the 300, the 300? Yeah, the 300 level. So we were up above, let me think here. We were just up above and just slightly behind the first base, uh, first base. Okay. But, you know, again, we weren't the whole, whole way up. Uh, There was maybe one other level above us, uh, but they were good seats. You could see the entire, um, Field, no problems. I mean, no problems. That's what I mean about it, that the views are just fantastic. And at, at the same time, where we were sitting, uh, we had a view of downtown Seattle as well, and you could clearly see it because it's an open-air stadium. So, And the weather was, like, like I said, the weather was nice and, and all that. And, and you, know, give, you know, I mean, you have to, you know, get over the fact that there's a lot of people there, right? Because if you're kind of not a people person, and people like us tend to not be people persons, you know, you kind of have to, once you get over that, you know, it's, it's kind of a good time. So anyway, I will wait for the music to kind of chime in. I got a little bit of a theme ongoing. It's same thing as yesterday, kind of pairs, if you will, as far as the music selection goes. So I hear the music, gentlemen, and I will uh, see you after the break.
their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. I would like to tell you about the only truly natural dog and cat food I have found anywhere. Most all companies add a synthetic vitamin mineral pack to their dry or kibble food. Nature's logic is different. With all natural ingredients and nothing man-made added, their owner, Scott Freeman, worked for another pet food company but decided he wanted to do things right. So he started Nature's Logic. You can check them out at natureslogic.com. You will find online and local stores where you can find their products. I spent a lot of time trying to find an all-natural pet food, and Nature's Logic was the only one out there. Give your pets the best and check out naturelogic.com. Your pets will be glad you did. They also have many other natural pet products to try. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Knocking 
All right, folks. Okay, just checking the chat room. Welcome back. This is the second half of the Condition Critical Show. I was a bit, I'm a bit distracted just for a second, checking the chat room. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the theme, I mean, it wasn't necessarily up just about like the needle, but it was the, just the song. It was, the songs were similar, the needle and the spoon and, and uh, uh, Neil Young with needle and the damage done. I, I wasn't really focusing on the needle itself, just, uh, you know, just the song itself, the title of the song itself, that, that sort of thing, so... All right, I have to mention that this is the second half of the Condition Critical Show. I'm your host, Jay Shanahan. We are live. It's Thursday, the 30th day of June 2016. It is now 38 minutes past the 2 o'clock hour. I am out here on the Pacific Time Coast. I am up here in the state of Washington. And so let's just uh, kind of move along. I talked about the baseball game last night, and it was kind of cool and, and all that. And so I hope uh, you guys... Uh, uh, got a, you know, got some kind of a, a little bit of a enjoyment out of that, uh, my experience there. So, cause it was a good time. All right. So I had a couple, I got like three things I want to do here and I can probably do these. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking I can get these in. So I said I had a quiz and I, I don't, I got this. I don't know why. Uh, I guess it's cause I've, I've subscribed to how stuff works, right? It's like a website and you know, you go there and it's just kind of fun, it's just quirky, how stuff works. And well, they sent, and I get, so I get emails, right? Occasionally, once a week, twice a week, whatever. I got this one like a month ago. And it's a civil war quiz. Uh, that, well, the headline is the nation divided and then civil war quiz. And I thought, well, okay, cool. I mean, I like to think I know, uh, you know, my history pretty well. I'm not, but I'm, I, I will say this. I'm not a huge uh, civil war kind of uh you know what, the trivia buff or anything like that. And I haven't taken the quiz yet, so we're going to do this live, if you will. And it just, it just starts off as the bloodiest war in American history. It tore a nation and even families apart. Although it ended more than a century ago, the scars of the Civil War are still with Americans today. Think you know more than the average Billy Yank or Johnny Reb about the blood spilled and the politics behind the war? Find out by taking our, our Civil War quiz. So we can start the quiz. It's live, gentlemen. All right. And while there's 30 questions, before I got to really blow through this. Okay. How many states eventually ended up seceding from the union? And the answers are seven, nine, or 11. Anybody? How many states eventually ended up seceding from the union? Well, I'm going to have to click something. Uh, seven, nine, or 11. I'll go with the most. Well, let's see. Well, okay. Uh, only seven states. Okay, so I was wrong. Anybody? Okay, Frank said nine. Well, it's uh, only seven. South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, and Texas seceded at first. But after Lincoln's call for a, a militia to enforce federal authority, four border states, Virginia, Arkansas, Tennessee, and North Carolina, seceded and joined the Confederacy. Well, there you go. I mean, which, uh, which solidifies my distaste and my dislike for Lincoln. Okay, so there you go. Next question. Where was the first shot of the war fired? Now, I think everybody knows that. I, that was Fort Sumter, right? Well, I haven't clicked it yet, but it was, yeah, that was be racist. Uh, Fort Sumter is correct. When President Lincoln ordered reinforcements of Fort Sumter in the harbor of Charleston, South Carolina, the first shots of the war were fired. On April 12, 1861, Confederate batteries opened fire on Major Robert Anderson's federal garrison, uh, which, by the way, I think I know a little bit, a little bit about this, and that was a false flag. I think that the, the, uh, in this instance, uh, 
the the uh, the union started. They did something. They right. Um, I hit my my knowledge of it is isn't clear at the moment, but I think that they did something out in the out in the water, right out on the off a shore with something, right? As I remember. So, yeah. But anyway, their their description of it is is you know the the official one, I guess. Okay. I'll continue with this. On April 12th, these one Confederate batteries opened fire on Major Israel Federal Guards with the surrender of the fort the next day. All efforts at compromise were abandoned. Okay, so next question. Next question is, in what year was the Battle of Antium fought? In what year was the Battle of Antium fought? 1861, 1862, or 1863? Well, again, I'm not a, and I know that was a big battle. So was it early on? Was it kind of later on or in the middle? Who? I'll, I'll say maybe in the middle, 1862. Anybody? Let's see. That was a guess. Okay, well, it was, I guessed right. The Battle of Antium, a major battle of the American Civil War, was fought in September of 1862. It was the bloodiest single day of the war. Okay, next question. Question four. What other battle was going on while the Battle of Gettysburg was being fought in Pennsylvania? Again, what other battle was going on while the Battle of Gettysburg was being fought in Pennsylvania? Cedar Creek, Shiloh, or Vicksburg? Okay. What other battle was going on while the Battle of Gettysburg was being fought? I'm thinking out loud. Uh, Shiloh? I mean, I'm familiar with them. With, I, I'm, I, I recognize all three of them, but again, not being the biggest buff, I'm just going to have to guess Shiloh, because that's the one that I think of off the top of my head. See? I was wrong. Vicksburg. The siege of Vicksburg, which, la- which lasted from May 19th to July 4th, 1863, was going on during Gettysburg and was also a decisive battle in the Civil War. Next question. What did Lincoln call his greatest and most enduring contribution to the history of the war? The Emancipation Proclamation, the Gettysburg Address, or appointing Ulysses S. Grant to commander of Union forces? Well, I'm going to guess the Emancipation Proclamation. I mean, because that's the one that they, you know, that's the one that's, that's just the one, right? I mean, that, that, that's the narrative. So that's, that's going to be my guess. So I'm just going to click it. Let's see if I was right. Well, yeah, I mean, it just kind of made sense. Lincoln told newspaper reporter James Scoville that the Emancipation Proclamation would, quote, be my greatest and most enduring contribution to the history of the war. Whatever. Okay, next question. Hmm, that was different. Here we are. Next question. Yeah. Which of the following was not a cause of the Civil War? Okay, which of the following was not a cause of the Civil War? Disagreement over slavery, disagreement over states' rights, disagreement over the electoral college process. Well, this will be an interesting one to see, because uh, I, uh, I, uh, disagree- I would say disagreement over the electoral college process. That's what I would say, so... Let's see. Well, now not, it says here. Which of the following was not a cause? Well, they're not going to say a disagreement over slavery. Uh, I don't think. Because uh, to them, the Civil War, and I don't call it that. I, you know, you know, I mean, uh, people like us don't, we know what it was. You know, it was, uh, it was something different. It wasn't the Civil War. It was like, the, you know, you can call it war or federal aggression or, you know, whatever and all that. And so let's just see if it was. Well, let's just see which one it is. I'll, I'll, I'll click disagreement over the electoral college process. 
And yeah, that was correct. Both the debate over slavery and over states' rights uh, versus federal power were major causes of the Civil War. The states' rights in question mostly related to slavery, such as the right to take enslaved people from slave states into the free states without their being freed. And that's the narrative. I know that. But slavery had very little to do, and, and, and I... And I'm not wrong. It had very little to do. Sure, it was a component, but it was that was not that was a complete war of, of aggression against uh, farmers, essentially. Okay, simple as that. They were they were they were slaughtered by you know uh, an overwhelming force. So basically, the, the farmers were anyway. Next question. This is number seven. What brought the Confederate Army troops to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, for the decisive battle? What brought the Confederate Army troops to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania? for the decisive battle. They heard that the Union troops were stationed there, the roads went through there, or they needed shoes. Hmm. Well, they probably did need shoes, and the road probably did just go through there, and they could have heard that Union troops were stationed there, but they probably needed shoes. I mean, let's just see. Well, I was wrong. It was the roads went through there. Here's the oft-repeated story. Confederate Major General A.P. Hill, in desperate need of shoes for his men, pursued, pursued a tip that there were shoes in Gettysburg. Sadly, this fun tidbit is uh, 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 it, apoc- apocryphal and wasn't documented until 14 years later. In reality, they had to go through Gettysburg because that's where the roads went. So there you go. Next question. That's an interesting little tidbit. I didn't know that. Let's see. Next question. What were the names of the two ironclad ships that battled it out during the Civil War at the Battle of Hampton Roads? Again, what were the names of the two sh- ironclad ships that battled it out during the Civil War at the Battle of Hampton Roads? The Merrimack and Minotaur, the Minotaur and the Maverick, or Merrimack and Monitor? Well, this is going to be a complete guess. I mean, I'm familiar with the names at the same time, but, jeez, uh, I have no idea. So let's just, uh, I'll just pick the first one. And, well, I was wrong. So the two ships were the Merrimack and Monitor. The ships Merrimack and Monitor fought the famous naval battle. The two ships were called ironclads because they were covered with iron. The remains of the Merrimack had been rechristened as the Virginia by the time this battle actually took place, but the battle was still widely known as being between the Monitor and the Merrimack. Interesting. Next question. How many days after Robert E. Lee's surrender at Appomattox was Abraham Lincoln shot and killed? How many days after Robert E. Lee's surrender at Appomattox was Abraham Lincoln shot? Five, 15, or 25 days? So five days, 15 days, or 25 days? Well, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, so I'm just going to have to guess. I'll just guess five. And it's a guess, and that, oh, I was right. So five days. John Wilkes Booth shot Lincoln on April 14, 1865, five days after Lee's surrender at Appomattox on April 9, 1865. Ah, that was probably an easy one. And I, I mean, any, you could just Google it, I guess. But anyway, next question. This is question 10. <coughs> Excuse me. How many Civil War soldiers lost their lives in the Civil War? How many? No, not Civil War. Let me repeat that. How many American soldiers? lost their lives in the Civil War. 6,000, 60,000, or 600,000? I think it was the high, 600,000. Let's see, yeah. More than 600,000 American soldiers lost their lives in four years at a time when the total U.S. population 
was around 34 million. Wow. That's a lot more people I thought, you know, than, than were back then, 34 million. Okay, well, there you go. Next question. Where did it go? Here it is. Question 11. Which of the following is not another name for the American Civil War? Again, which of the following is not another name for the American Civil War? I guess this is part of the social engineering here. So the first uh, one, uh, the first guesser would be War of the Rebellion, War of the People, or War Between the States. I would say War of the People uh, because not another name. Yeah, I would say War of the People because War of the Rebellion would seem to fit, and War Between the States certainly does. So I'll just guess War of the People. Yeah, the Civil War was also called the War Between the States, the War of the Rebellion. The War for the Union and the War for Southern Independence. Okay, so it wasn't too much uh, social engineering trying to happen there. Next question. What was the South's view of slavery during the Civil War? Again, this is question 12. What was the South's view of slavery during the Civil War? Slavery, Slavery was necessary to its economy. Slavery was constitutionally protected or both of the above. I'm going to guess that they're going to say both of the above or that the answer is both of the above. So let's just see. Yes. The South felt that the government shouldn't interfere with slavery because it was necessary for a healthy economy, and the Constitution protected the institution of slavery. The Southern states also felt that freeing the slaves would lead to a revolution. Well, you know, I'm not one to try and rewrite history here, but it's my understanding that slavery was bad for the South and that people knew that as well. Uh, and it really was. Uh, it, hurt, it hurt the economy. It, it, it kept wages low. It didn't help the economy in any way. So, and again, I don't, uh, and there are people out there that are way more knowledgeable, so I'm going to not try and say too much more and stick my foot in my mouth because there are people way way more knowledgeable on on this subject uh, than I am. But my, you know, I'll just stick with my point that uh, that slavery, although it was a component of the Civil War, it was a small component. So we'll move on to the next question. I believe I'm correct, at least in that. Next question. What city was chosen as the Confederate capital in 1861? What city was chosen as the Confederate capital in 1861? Richmond, Virginia, Chattanooga, Tennessee, or Corneth, Mississippi? Let's see. Uh, I'm going to guess Richmond, Virginia. Okay. Let's see. On May, I was right. On May 21st, 1861... Richmond, Virginia, was chosen as the capital of the Confederate States. That was kind of an easy one. Next question. I'm not going to get to all of this. Uh, I might have a few more minutes here. Well, i got 30 questions, and we're not even halfway there. What popular battle was also called the Battle of Manassas? What popular battle was also called the Battle of Manassas? Battle of Gettysburg, Battle of Bull Run, Battle of Shiloh. Hmm. I'm just going to have to guess. I guess Shiloh one time. Uh, and I'm familiar with all three, but I'm just going to guess uh, Battle of Bull Run. Well, I, have to, I, I guessed it right. Uh, the Battle of Bull Run was also called the Battle of Manassas. Okay, there you go. This is an interesting tidbit. Next question, halfway here. How many versions of the Gettysburg Address are there? How many versions of the Gettysburg Address are there? At least two, at least five, or around ten? Hmm, well... I'm getting okay. I'm, you know, yeah, I guess there were uh, multiple versions, but I didn't know that there was a, 
that it would be a question posed like this. So now I'm just going to have to guess and say at least two. I'm going to guess that's wrong, though. And it was at least five. There are at least five. After Lincoln delivered the speech, he revised it at least four more times for publication. Each of these drafts is named after the person who received it from Lincoln. So there you go. That's interesting little tidbit. Next question. Okay. Now we are halfway through. Which battle was the bloodiest of the Civil War? Which battle was the bloodiest of the Civil War? And there's Battle of Antium, Battle of Chickamauga, I think it's pronounced, or Battle of Gettysburg. I'm going to guess the Battle of Gettysburg. Uh, Just a guess. Let's see. Yeah, I was right. The Battle of Gettysburg was the bloodiest battle, resulting in 51,000 casualties. Wow. 51,000 casualties. Next question. Which of the following allowed a male citizen aged 20 to 45 exemption from the draft? Which of the following allowed a male citizen aged 20 to 45 exemption from the draft? Providing a substitute, paying $300, either method would work. I'm just going to go with either method would work, so let's see. Yeah, on March 3rd, 1863, the United States Congress enacted a draft. Male citizens could opt out of this by either paying $300 or providing a substitute. (laughs) Well, $300 was a lot of money back then, so I'm guessing they just coheres their neighbor or their brother or something like that. You know, hey, you over there, go. Next question. What percentage of the Union Army was African-American? Didn't take them long, just the question 18 to get to that one. Uh, what percentage of the Union Army was was African-American? That's, uh, you know, I don't like that term. I dislike that term, in fact. So which percentage, what percentage of the Union Army was uh, was made up of blacks? Okay, Negroes. 30%, 2%, or 10%? 30%, 2 or 10%? Uh, I'm going to go with the middle number of about, well, that might be too high, but I, I'm just going to say 10%. Yeah, well, I was right. 10% of the Union Army consisted of African Americans. There you go. Next question. Next question. Why are there often two names for the same battle? Why are there often two names for the same battle? The question, the three answers are the media named them differently from the armies. The Union and Confederacy named them differently, or both answers are correct? Well, that makes sense. Both answers, I would say both answers are correct, and I was wrong. Was I, though? Yes. Uh, the Union and Confederacy named them differently. Union commanders chose names based on close rivers or creeks. Confederate commandos typically named battles after the nearest city or town. Well, there you go. I have time for one more, and I'm not going to get to that other stuff I promised to get to this afternoon. I, I apologize, gentlemen. So let's see. Next question. This will be, have to be the last one. So we're at 20 questions here. Who won, who won the American Civil War? The South, the North, there was no clear winner. Well, uh, it's pretty obvious that there was no clear winner. I'm, you know, let's, I'm, that has to be the correct answer. It has to be. Well, I was wrong. They're saying the North. Victory was claimed by the northern armies. The seceded states then returned to the Union. Well, we all know, to the victor go the spoils, and there you go. So we're going to have to end it there, gentlemen. Uh, So we have ten more questions. I will put that on the back burner along with the other stuff that I had promised to get to, and I apologize for that because that whole 308 uh, Winchester versus 762 by 51 NATO is a very important subject, and... The preppers list that I was going to go through was pretty interesting as well. Uh, so I will promise 
and to get to that, that'll be the first thing on my agenda uh, next Wednesday when we meet again. So I am finished for the week. So uh, I start my work week tomorrow, Monday. Friday is my Monday. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening this afternoon and yesterday. I appreciate all the support and all the listening and all the shout-outs and the, the chat room and all the help that I get from the various and many different people that help me with not only uh, the radio show, but also with uh, my website, my speech coach, and, and everyone else. And, of course, Frank, who uh, allows me, uh, you know, time on the air to just kind of rant and sometimes uh, go over the edge sometimes and get go off on a, on a rant. So there you go. God bless each and every one of you, like I said. Thank you all for listening again, like I said. And I always have two things to say, ladies and gentlemen, at the end of my show, as you know. Wherever you are on God's green earth, you have to become a domestic terrorist. That's the only way we're going to take our country and our nation back. Because the second thing is freedom comes from the sword. It only comes from the sword. I'll see you next week, gentlemen. You guys have a good day. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. 
If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Welcome to the Messiah's Branch Prophecy Hour. We are broadcasting live from the Flint Hills of Kansas, and we're on the American Voice Radio Network. Today's date is June 30th, 2016. Most just don't realize it, but we are in that time at the end, and that's the time before Messiah's glorious return. So it's time to get out of sin, the world, and look to the holy city. Look to the one who suffered and died for you. Hear the sound of the shofar. Heed the warning. Get right now before it's too late. Please make this choice tonight. If you need help after this program, call me. I'll pray for you or with you. If you get the machine, please leave your name, your number, your prayer request, and or message. The phone number, of course, is 620-878-4682, 620-878-4682. And an emergency, my cell phone number is 316-619-4886. You can always find updates with the breaking news, our ministry, radio program archives, and our mailing address, as well as our email address at our blog, which is simply prophecyhour.com. That's prophecyhour.com. Remember, we are a national satellite radio program, which is simulcast live on the net internationally, so please pray about supporting airtime. 
Our program archives, remember, can be found at prophecyhour.com. And with the email address over there, you can email me with your phone number to call you about a prayer request. Or you can send me the prayer request by email. And if you wish, we'll, take, we'll print it out. We'll take it to the Wichita Mission Church. And in prayer circle, we'll anoint it with the oil. We'll pray over it. And then if you include your address, we'll even send it back. And we will not use your address for any other sort of solicitation. A lot of people do this, and it's a good thing. Anyway, on another note, let's ch I challenge everybody to share this program with these at least two or three others. This particular pro program, you're going to want to sell, or share with hundreds of other people. Anyway, we remember that, uh, I think, it, yeah, it's Monday. It's July 4th, uh, Day of Independence. Let's remember to celebrate that. And I won't tell you that it happens to be my birthday, and I'm turning 61 that day. Remember, I won't tell you that. Anyway, on another note. I want to thank our listener base that is worldwide in places like Beijing, China, Guyana, Kaduri, uh, well, that's Kaduna, Nigeria, Cali, Colombia, Paris, France, Dubai, United Arab Emirates, Israel, San Jose, California, Newark, New Jersey, New York, New York, Dallas, Texas, Plano, Texas, Denver, Colorado, Chicago, Illinois. This list goes on. In fact, I'm going to change to a new list next week, as well as Wichita, Kansas, which remains the largest group of listeners. That is, once our radio program gets to the podcast later tonight. And I want to remind you also, folks, most of you listen by podcast. And the podcast, we have to pay a yearly fee for that. And you know, most of you know there's like, you know, there's a lot of programs over there, 600 and some at last count. And so pray about supporting that because I have to come up with almost $1,000 on the 16th to pay for that particular podcast, otherwise it'll go away, and that's where you all listen at. Now, prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in Yeshua HaMashiach's name I pray, Father, I pray that radio tonight goes according to your will, and not my will, nor our guest wills. So please, Father, give everyone out there ears in which to hear the truth. In your Son's mighty name, Yeshua HaMashiach, amen and amen. Well, our guest for this program is Ishak uh, Shapira. I came across this website while searching for radio guests. I was astounded at what I was seeing. I mean, here was a blood Jew writing a book entitled Return of a Kosher Pig. Well, looking a little closer, I saw the subtitle, The Divine Messiah in Jewish Thought. He was born and raised in a traditional Shepherdic uh, Jewish home in Israel. After years of studying rabbinic uh, Jewish texts, he found Messiah within the Hebrew writings. Far from a study of kosher diet, dietary laws, the return of the kosher pig is an unprecedented journey toward the true identity of the divine Messiah, the one previously considered unkosher and unacceptable by Jewish people. This encyclopedia volume will surprise and challenge you with compelling words of Jewish sages and rabbis over the last 2,000 years. Rabbi Shapiro serves as the founding rabbi of Avanti Emini, I ask him to pronounce it, international Jewish organization that is focused on the reconciliation of Jews and Yeshua. This is a big thing, folks. As you know, we've had a lot of people on here, and this has been going on for some time as we talked about the Kaduri revival in Israel and talked to the rabbi in Israel. So this is a big thing. I pray this means that he can, that even the Gentiles, he can finally see the true Messiah from one of, well, Messiah's countrymen, one of his brothers, if you will. So welcome, Rabbi Shapira now. Are you well with me, Rabbi? Shalom. Yes, I'm with you. It's great to be on your program. Well, I, 
I'm really glad to have you. And uh, I guess we start this off with and um, the the title to the book. I you know I brought it up to some people and they, and it just completely threw them out. And they said, well. Um, how can there there be a such thing as a as a kosher pig? What what's going on with this title? <laughs> well, I, I guess I should I should warn you and should tell you I never even intended to write a book. Okay, that was never my intention. Um, I was I was raised in Israel in a traditional Jewish home uh, all, all my life, and uh, in my early twenties. Uh, somebody challenged me to look at the identity of the Jewish Messiah. Never heard about Yeshua, or this Christian calling Jesus. Um, never had a care or thought about it. And I started the journey uh, of of looking on the issue of the Messiah through Judaism, not through Christianity, but through Judaism. And in the process of doing that, I started to write and, and, and turn literally every stone that I could in finding out, and almost like a forensic expert, trying to uh, reassemble the portrait of the Mashiach, as we call him in Hebrew, the Mashiach, the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And, and as I done that, I discovered very interesting things about the Messiah, and specifically about about Yeshua. Uh, so that took me about 15, 15 years to do. Uh, and again, I, I, my, my starting point is, is really not Christianity or Messianic Judaism. It's truly just normative Orthodox mm-hmm. Judaism. Okay? So I look through this, and as I look through this, I start asking my question, well, there's really, really one entity I can think of that fit all of, all of those pieces, and, and it's Yeshua, really. And of course, for a Jew, Jew and Yeshua is something, it's, it's almost a paradox. How right. can a Jew uh, believe in Yeshua? That's the question we ask today. Well, 2,000 years ago, we asked, how can a Gentile believe in Yeshua? So something terrible happened in the last 2,000 years to uh, reverse, reverse the question. So what I have done is I start to ask myself as a Jew, wait a second, what makes Yeshua uh, unkosher to the Jewish people? And, and it is claimed for the divinity. It, it, the divinity right. and the deity is, is a d- difficult topic to deal with. So I've took all those notes that took me 15 years to, to put together and 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 I wrote the book, The Return of the Kosher Pig, and I'll, I'll get right. to the title in a second, but uh, as a background to your audience, I, I suppose is, you know, I didn't know how the book will do and how well or poorly it will do in, in, in mainstream. And the one thing that I discovered, you know, is the book, you know, I was happy if I'll send, sell 100 copies. And right. in the first in the first week, I sold thousand copies. Okay, and and then the book kept on climbing in Amazon and other places to the top top ten Jewish books in the world, and it ended up being a phenomenal book that sold thousands and thousands of copies. Yeah, uh, by, uh, that read by both Jews and non-Jews, by the way. Um, and what I discovered is Jewish people are very interested. In talking about the Messiah, talking about Yeshua or Jesus, just not the Yeshua or Jesus that portrayed by the Christians, okay? Right. They're interested in talking about the Messiah in their own term. So 
the, the, the premise of the book um, is, is actually fairly simple. There is a passage in the Psalms, in Psalm 146, by the way, it's a, it's a, uh, a prayer that you said three times a day, uh, and the prayer says something like this in the, the in the Psalms it says Adonai Matil Asurim in the Hebrew, which which translated in English is the Lord is loosens the prisoners. Okay, that's one way to read it. But the word Hebrew is a unique language with dual meaning of, of words. The word for prisoner is also the word for forbidden, something that is forbidden. So one way to read the passage is like this. Uh, 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 the Lord is taking something that is forbidden and is going to make it basically kosher again. So the rabbis have asked the question, what is forbidden and it's going to be kosher again? And the rabbi come with an answer, and they say, aha, the answer is big. Now, for an English speaker, that doesn't mean much. But in Hebrew, each word has um, dual meaning. And the word in Hebrew, pig, is the same word as the word return or come back. And it's, it's, it's rather fascinating that they continue to explain that the Messiah will resemble a pig. You know, and if you know something about Jewish law, you know Jews don't eat pork. You know that's oh, one yeah, of the things that, 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 that is is a picture of all uncleanliness. And they said right. not not only that, they said the Messiah will resemble a pig. He will be unholy and unkosher to our people, but he will return and he will become kosher again. So I ask myself the question: Wait a second, why is he not kosher today? If Yeshua or Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, why is he not kosher again? Why is he not kosher? What's making him not kosher? What can make him kosher? And what I have done is I put Yeshua on a trial. And this is hmm. almost like a second trial, reenactment of the second trial, first trial that has ta taken place. And in this trial, the unique thing, I have brought a merit of witnesses to talk about the case of, of Yeshua and, and why is he a pig, quote-unquote, is a pig unkosher today to the Jewish people. And it really boils down to one thing. His statement, like he's made, I am the father of one, I can forgive sins, whoever sinned me, sinned the father, those statements that every Christian know. And for the Jewish ear, you saw those things that Jew have difficulties even accepting and reconciling those statements. So what we have done, we brought the rabbis of the last 2,000 years to testify actually for and against the case for the divinity through Judaism. And I am merely writing the book as a spectator. I'm, I'm a news right. reporter. I present the evidence and I let the audience uh, decide how the case of the Messiah, of Yeshua, will come out. Because only when, at the end of the day, only when the Jewish people recognize him as the Messiah, he can actually be returning as the king of the Jews. And that's why it's so, so paramount and so critical. So that's a little bit about the history behind uh, the return of the kosher pig. Well, amen. Um, that's pretty fantastic. Um, I, I think one of the reasons why you're, well, I, let me go with this. I don't know if you, you know, you probably, as a Jew, you know who Rabbi Kaduri is and his. Of course, his, yeah. Uh, he, well, I know uh, a 
a rabbi in, in Israel that is using that book, you know, to, to win Jews over to Messiah. And the big thing that, that he tells me is that it's not so much that, that uh, they know all about Yeshua, it's just that it's more lack of knowledge that they have about him anyway, anyway because they, yeah. nobody has told them about it and told them that he was forbidden. Look, look, it's, it's, it's partial truth. We know a lot about, about Yeshua, okay, in Judaism. Uh, it's just not the right Yeshua, if it makes sense to you. They have, a book of, they, they have a book of fables about who Yeshua is, okay, uh, and so forth. The issue is, is you know, let me give you an example. Um, maybe it will make sense to you, maybe not, especially uh, to your audience if they're not familiar with Hebrew. But Hebrew is also a language of numbers, okay? Right. Let me give you an example of, of, of from the scriptures. In the scriptures in Numbers uh, 21, it says that Israel was dying in the wilderness because they were complaining. And as they're dying, God says to them to make a serpent of bones, okay? And as they look at the serpent of bones, they're healed. Now, there is something very perplexing about it, because the Lord said not to put any image before him. But then in Numbers 21... He's saying, make a, a, a born serpent, and they are healed. How do we understand this? How, how do Jewish people understand it? You know that the Hebrew word for serpent is the word nachash. The word, when you think about serpent, you think about something that is evil, something that is uh, unholy, something that represents Satan. You know, the, the serpent, the garden, the, everybody think about the story of the garden and the serpent. But do you know that the Hebrew word Nachash, serpent, is also equivalent in Hebrew to the name Mashiach, Messiah? Really? In Gematria, it's the same word. Serpent and Mashiach is the same word. And you ask the question, how can it be? How can it be the serpent Messiah is the same word? Here is the answer. There is a principle in Judaism that explains that things that are externally appear very, very uh, dark, very evil, and in their internality, they are actually hold the highest spark of what we call in Hebrew Kedusha, the holiness. And the same is true about the Messiah, okay? Yeshua, think about the calamities that were brought upon the Jewish people the last 2,000 years upon in the name of Jesus. You know, crusade, inquisitions, pogroms, etc. All happened in the name of Jesus. Okay? It is absolutely shocking that the same name will bring salvation to the Jewish people because in the externality, the externality of the matter is that he appeal unholy and unkosher to the people. But when he reveal himself to the people of Israel, finally, he will be holy. So what we have to do today we have to do a, what we call in Hebrew a tikkun and a repair, and I hope your audience understand that this is not a Jewish thing. It, it, it is a thing that every follower, true follower of Messiah has to do, have to repair and restore the name of Yeshua, and that's what we have done, tried to do also in the book, through the book. And, and, and how do you repair it is making Yeshua kosher again by uh, freeing him from association with Christianity. Uh, yeah, Yeshua was not a Christian. Yeshua was a Jewish rabbi. He was the greatest Jewish rabbi that ever lived. 
And um, the, the, the fact of the matter, we cut him from his Jewishness for 2,000 years. And because of that, he is today guilty, guilty by association. You know, you see a picture of that so clear in the Hebrew writing in the end of the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah gives this final prophecy in Isaiah 63, and he says that, that as Messiah, he, 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 it's called a day of vengeance. And, and, and in this day of vengeance, he says, why are you dressed in red? Why, why, why is it that you dress in red? And he's taking revenge over Edom, okay? Now think about this for a second, Pastor. Edom or red, who is the one that is called red in the scripture? The one that is called red or Edom in the scripture is Esau, Esau, who was arguably one of the most wicked Jews that ever lived, you know? Now, Esau, if you take the letter of the name Esau, you actually get the name Yeshua. Do you know that? He appears as Esau, but he's not really Esau. And the reason he appears as Esau because he is imprisoned in some level in Edom by the Christians. You want to know why it's so hard to the Jewish people to see Yeshua? It's because of what Christianity has done to Judaism the last 2,000 years. And now we have to do a great repair, Jews and Christians alike, to restore Yeshua back to his rightful owner. And that's, that's what we do as an organization. Amen. Okay, um, just a, a couple of minutes. And I, I know the, some of the concepts I just explained may be a, a bit uh, difficult to understand. Look, I'm a Jewish rabbi. I speak as one. But, but, uh, but, <laughs> Look, brother, brother, what? brother, it's, it's okay. I do understand. Actually, I, what I want to express to you is, is my compassion for what you're doing because we know that you're right. You know, in the United States and around the world, there is a huge movement um, it's, it goes by two different names. One, Messianic, and the other is, is Hebrew roots. And that's where people are going back to the roots of their faith. And they're looking at, or at least trying to, I mean, we stumble around the Torah. We, don't, we can't know it without knowing what you know, in the sense of knowing, um, you know, what, like you said, all the words and all those things. But we are trying, and we recognize that the the Jesus that most of them are putting forward, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus that can eat anything, is really yeah. does not line up with the scriptures. And we and there is a huge movement that does understand that. And I for yeah, one, yeah, and yes, I, and I understand that. So you know, as an organization, what we do is we also train the Gentiles to understand what it's mean to represent Yeshua in an appropriate way. But here, here is my, I guess, the caution that I have uh, as, as, as part of it. You know, you, you mentioned Messianic Judaism and Hebrew roots. I, I have a real heartburn when I hear the term Hebrew roots, and I'll tell you why. Because the scripture says the salvation is of the Jews, okay? If anything, we need to say Jewish roots. If you take the Jewishness out of Yeshua, you're in essence doing the same thing that has been done in the last 2,000 years, just in another way. That Amen. you are robbing Yeshua from his Jewishness. So I encourage your people to, to think as Yeshua as a Jewish rabbi, not just any old Jewish rabbi, as a Pharisee, not just as a Pharisee, the Pharisee of Pharisees, the ultimate example of a Pharisee. That who was Yeshua, to, to be honest, if we're to be honest and true. So look, and the other side of it, so let's now look at the, um, the Hebrew roots. A lot happened what is right now in the Hebrew roots. 
is a lot of people are getting interested in the festival and the feast and, and want to learn about Torah, but there is a caution here. Because if you do not learn the Torah in the appropriate way from the appropriate people, you might present, misrepresent again Yeshua in the wrong way. I cannot tell you how many times I talk to Jewish people and, you know, we deal with Orthodox Jews and they see uh, Gentiles who, who call themselves Torah observants. And, and they are perverting the way that uh, us do two things. And, and you know what? That's also, I, I'm not sure what is worse, if this is worse or it's worse saying nothing about the Torah. Both are dangerous. That's why I really believe that it's important right now for Jewish people who love the Lord, who love the Torah, who love the Mashiach, to teach the nations properly, maybe in a appropriate way, how to, uh, you know, Zechariah, the prophet says, the ten Gentiles will hold the teachings of the Jew. Not to compromise the Torah, but at the same time to, to find the Mashiach. That is that is important, because I'll give you a picture. You know, what, what do you think will happen when millions of Gentiles will start observing the festivals in Israel among the Jewish people? Okay, hold that thought. We've got to go for a break. Um, so, okay. and 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 really, I'm actually in a, in agreement with you more than what you that you probably know because um, I know we'll just talk about it when we come back. But please okay. give your website so people can look at it during break and see where the book's at. The website for the book is kosherpig.org. And we also have a weekly regular Torah teaching available to the world at Ahavat. Ami.org. Both sites are available for you. Okay, folks, we'll be back with much more from Rabbi Shapiro in three minutes. Right back. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. 
Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. This is Pastor Dan Catlin. You're listening to Messiah's Branch Prophecy Hour on the American Voice Radio Network. Folks, please remember to pray about a donation for our work with the homeless and poor from our mission church in Wichita, Kansas. Support us so we can care for the people that the Father sends us. It's summertime. People are coming in with cuts, bruises, open wounds, all kinds of things, and they need first aid. We're, we're slack in having the money to get all the things that we need. We also need Bibles, folks. We need a lot of things. We need your support. Summer times is, the, is one of the worst times of the year for donations because, I don't know, people are off doing other things or whatever, but pray about a donation for the homeless and poor for the Wichita Mission Church. And, yes, I am trying to get through this uh, pretty quickly because I'm really excited about tonight's guest. Anyway, so, we, folks, remember, we are responsible to care one for another, as we are our brother's keepers. All donations, no matter what size, helps. And the Father notices all donations that come from where? Your heart. 
if you don't wish to help with the poor, consider a radio donation. Because remember, we sell nothing. We're a ministry that we sell nothing. The only reason that we're on the air is because people donate to us so that we can pay for airtime. So pray about that. We really do need your support for airtime. Is technically it's all due tomorrow. So you can donate online or mail a check or money order, and you can find all this information at prophecyhour.com. Okay, or you can call me now. Um, I want to point something out as I'm bringing him back on. This program, folks, you know, over and over, we have brought many, many guests on that, are, that have talked about replacement theology. And, you know, we're, we've talked to people that say that in order to understand things properly, you really have to look at it from the point of view of the people that wrote the book. You know, you can't read a, a book about uh, Indians when you look at it from a cowboy point of view. Our guest tonight is probably one of the best guests ever to actually put this in perspective. And two different things. I also want to make a clarification. I, as a minister, claim to be Messianic, which means I look at things as Messianic Judaism from the point of view of the Jew. Hebrew Roots Movement is all over the place. They try to do different feast days and everything than, than Israel does. As you know, folks, we keep the feast along with Israel. So having said that, I'm really glad to bring back on with us Ra Messianic Rabbi Ishak Shapira. Back to you, Rabbi. It's great to be back with you guys. It's, it's, it's such a blessing. Thank you for having me. You're, it's a blessing to have you, brother. Um, you may pick up where you left off, or yeah. So, so let me just continue. Uh, I think I think everybody has to ask themselves the question: Really, what does it mean for us in those last days? Um, look, we wrote the return of the kosher pig, and I was actually shocked that so many non-Jewish people would want to read this book about what the rabbis have to say about the Messiah. Okay, it was. Uh, definitely a shocker to me. I did not expect it or anticipate it. And I ask and I seek counsel with, from, from the Lord, what does that mean? And, and one of the things that I understood that it's meant is, um, by the way, this weekend we released the book in Spanish after years of work, and, and in September it's released in Hebrew uh, in Israel. And, and one of the things I understood is, and I'll use an analogy of surfing, you know, when you're a surfer, you, you don't pick any old wave, you know. Uh, you're waiting for a perfect wave. And right now, there is a perfect wave that is coming. God is going to deal with the Jewish people. And he's going to use the Gentiles to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy, just as he's promised. And he's preparing a perfect wave for, for, for the nations worldwide to be able to basically to to take us all the way to this to the to the to the line to the safety to the safety line and this this thing is brewing let me tell you this last mm -hmm. two years i visited dozen dozen countries and what i see you know anywhere from malaysia indonesia singapore south america europe although the cultures are different i sense there's a similar spirit right now that God is raising a remnant of believers who are truly want to graft themselves in the last days truly to the Jewish people and to the Jewish Messiah. So that is exciting to see. So I, we ask God, you know, after the return of the kosher pig success, what does it mean to us? And we launch a school, a yeshiva. Uh, to enable and equip uh, the nation.
patience to learn. You know, every, anybody can use terms, I'm a Torah observant, or I keep Shabbat, but really, at the end of the day, it's if I talk to you and I bring 10 other guys, well, go and get different answers. Judaism have something that is called halakha. Halakha is a way we practice our faith. And through the Brit HaChadasha and through our sages, I believe that there is such a thing as a messianic halakha that has to be formed. So, you know, myself and several other rabbis who see the need and see the hunger uh, put together a school by the name of Shuvu. Shuvu meaning Hebrew to return to back to your original state, to your starting point. Shuvu, and people can look it up online, shuvu, S-H-U-V-U dot TV, is, is, is a, a program of, of dealing with the issue of identity. How much Torah should the Gentiles should keep? How, what should they should or should not do, et cetera, et cetera. Those type of things, how to become a, a big player and a major player in the last days as all of Israel is getting ready to be saved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They, they, you see, the Jewish people have been robbed of the Messiah. But don't feel so bad to the Jewish people, because you guess what? The nation have been robbed from the context of the Messiah, the setting of the Messiah. It's almost like I'm giving you a book and I tell you, and it's a murder novel, and I tell you, go tell me who killed who. So you turn to the last page of the book and, 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 yeah. and you know who killed who. But then I tell you, okay, tell me the plot of the story. <laughs> and you'll have a real hard time. Well, when we Jews, you know, we know the yeah. plot really, really good. We just yeah, didn't flip did. to the last page to know who killed who, you know? Both sides have a, a different restoration path, and it's equally dependent of each other to, um, to, to help, sort of speaking, to each other to turn the page to this final page of the story. So, you know, um, we are seeing a real revival. I see an increased revival among Jewish people, Orthodox Jewish people, who are willing to talk to us about the Messiah, about Yeshua. And the same time, I see the nations just on fire. Uh, I've been uh, just literally last week in Colombia, uh, where we have had uh, an event uh, that, that, that was actually the week before with Shavuot, kind of continue after Shavuot. And... Um, it was incredible. We had, the, we had the, the entire Jewish Orthodox Jewish community with us Messianic Jews together in the same room, uh, um, uh, uh, worshiping Shavuot. And the reason that, that they could do it, although they knew we believed that Jews besides because there was something in common, and this thing that is common is something that we call the Torah. The Torah is something that we all, all both hold to the to the highest values. So there is a common denominator. You see, if you remove this common denominator, then there is no foundation. There is nothing to 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 talk about, in essence. Right. Absolutely. Um, and that's one of the biggest, uh, you know, issues that that brought me to to my belief. You know, I, when I came out of the world, I read the Bible, and you know, in the New Testament, it talked about you know, not being under law and, you know, like the Torah was being done away with. But I didn't get that. That's what I got from the church. When I read the Bible just on my own without being church, I understood that you needed the whole book. And I realized by reading the, the and I read the New Testament after I read the Old Testament that, you know, those things hadn't been done away with. And so look, what... Look, I, what, I, I, think, I think King Solomon said it the best. King Solomon said... 
there, there, there is nothing new under the sun. And, you know, it, it, I'm just thinking about your story, about what you're sharing. A couple of uh, months ago, I was invited to speak in a church, which rarely I speak in churches, but it happened to be that, uh, that I did. And I asked the, 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 the um, uh, audience to turn with me to the book of Leviticus. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that some of the people in the audience had a hard time finding Leviticus. So I asked the question, what's the matter with you? Why can't you find Leviticus? He said, because we call those the yellow pages. Those are the sticky pages, because we never go there, and, and, and therefore we cannot find it. Well, guess what? When you study Jewish hermeneutics, you find out that there's a few rules to Jewish hermeneutics, okay? Let me keep, briefly give your audience two rules that I think that are really, really important. One of them, it says this, all the words of the prophets have prophesied only for the good days of the coming of the Messiah. In essence, what the rabbis suggested to us, that every word of prophecies, every word of prophecy, is given for one, one thing, so we know who is the Messiah, so we can reconstruct his, his portrait. Well, let me ask you a question, Pastor. Who is the greatest prophet who ever lived? You should. In your opinion. Well, that's not what the Scripture says. You know what? Scripture says that there was no greater prophet than Moses in Israel. Oh, okay. Do you, yeah, you realize that in the, end of, in the end of the book of Deuteronomy, it says that the greatest prophet in Israel is, Messiah, is Moses, okay? Okay, well, check it out. Here's the interesting thing about this. If this is true and the greatest prophet is Moses, that means that the Torah is the greatest book of prophecy. And we need to treat the Torah not as something old, but as the greatest book of prophecy. There is not old because it's contained truly a prophecy. The second principle of, of Jewish hermeneutics goes like that. In Hebrew we say, which literally means in English, what has happened going to happen again. History repeats itself. Do you want to know what's going to happen in the future? Study Torah. It will tell you exactly word for word the things that are about to happen in the future. You just need to know how to look at that. In a Greek and a Roman thought, you look at the Bible in a very linear way. Well, think about the Hebrew and the Jewish calendar. It is cyclical. Everything is cyclical. So we must look and train our eyes to read the prophets of Israel, Moses, even Yeshua himself, to understand them through a cyclicality rather than a linearity. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we 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 read the Torah over and over every year, and, you know, there's... So much screams out of us that we see different every year, and you know we're, you know, while we have concordances and things to look it up, we do try to look at as best that we can as being Gentiles from the point of view of the Jew, you know, and and you, you know, you know so that's much. why I was absolutely shocked, though. That's what the, was the big surprise for me. You know, when we launched the yeshiva, we have had in one year hundreds and hundreds of students worldwide. I did never anticipate so many Gentiles who really want to graft graft themselves to the Jewish people. It's absolutely amazing. And if anything else, I think everybody needs to be excited and understand that Paul said that one of the conditions for the coming of the Messiah gave two conditions. One of them has to do with the Jewish people, one of them has to do with the Gentiles. The event that he called the fullness of the Gentile is happening right now in front of our eyes, and it's really exciting. You see, the church misunderstood the term the 
fullness of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles does not mean the full number of the Gentiles. The term Meloah Goim, the fullness of the Gentiles, is using the Talmud and the Oral Law. It's using the Torah in Isaiah, and it's also using Genesis 49. And this term, fullness of the Gentiles, actually speak about a qualitative understanding, not a quantitative understanding. And what's happening right now among the nations is a fulfillment of a prophecy that will spark the coming of the Messiah. And, and I want the, the, your audience who is not Jewish to hear what I'm saying right now. The faster you can get it, the faster you can understand it, the faster you can graft yourself in, the faster Messiah is going to return. You are holding half of the equation for the coming of the king. It is important that we leave the foolishness behind and graft ourselves in in these last days. That's why the Gentiles and the Jewish people. Well, Paul yeah. also continued to go in Romans 11, 16, and said the other equation, piece of the example, the Jewish people. He said that if the first fruit is only so will be the entire, the, the, the entire uh, uh, body, the entire, uh, uh, use this term, loaf. So this, this word there in Hebrew for the first fruit is the word teruma. And if you, uh, well, a verse in the Torah, you know that the term teruma is actually a specific number. It has number of 2%. Right. Paul is saying when 2% of the Jews call upon him, Baruch HaBashem Adonai, the other 98 will be saved. You see this principle throughout wow. the Torah, throughout the Torah. As an example in Numbers 30, when God said to, um, to Moses to take 12,000 Jewish men out of 600,000 to fight the Midianites. And what happened? Not a single Jew died in the war. Why is it? Because if you divide 12,000 divided by 600,000, it's 2%. Again, it's a prophetic picture of the things to come. So we must work together, and, and we have different paths, but those paths are going to lead us to become the builder of the same city if we're truly uh, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I, ha I have believed for for some time now that seeing the Gentiles, you know, warning the, the Torah, warning to understand that it was a pro prophetic event. Not as much with the kosher, let me say this, the Hebrew roots are, there are a lot of people all over the place with teachers that don't know. Some are truly looking towards the Jewish people. Not all of them are. But the point is, is those that are trying to, to grasp onto the Jew and see it from their point of view, it is truly astounding at what we are finding. Back to you, brother. And that is the season. It is happening in front of our eyes. I am rejoicing in this. And when I see the nations and, and even pastors like yourself having a program that are willing to put on your lips the word Torah. But please understand something. When we are talking about about grafting in, it's not just simply Torah. There is a very dangerous move, movement right now uh, in the Gentile world that's called the Torah for the nation. The message is not the Torah, the Torah to the nation. That's not it. Paul says to the nation specifically, he said, you were estranged from the covenant of promise. And he used the term covenant in plural because there is more than a Torah. There is an Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, and the new covenant. All four covenants according to Romans chapter 9 given exclusively to the Jewish people. But through the blood of the Messiah, the nations can now come in and partake of those covenants. Amen. So think about it. Think about 
2,000 years that the nation says, we don't want those covenants. What a slap in the face it is to the true Jewish Messiah. So now the nation have to want to desire to return to those covenants as they return to the covenants. The Geula, as we say in Hebrew, the redemption is near and it is upon us. And, and I'm excited because I believe we will see Messiah in our lifetime. Yeah, amen. I absolutely agree. And what you done, and by you bringing forth what you did, you are in that prophecy. You're, you're, you have been called to do this for this so time. Pastor, I don't, I, I don't want to be a bench warmer. I'm saying to God, put me in today. I want to be in the game, and I pray yeah. that everyone who listen to this program, George and alike, ask God the question, what role does he have for me in those last days? I promise you one thing, that he doesn't want you to be a bench warmer. He wants you in the game. Yeah, amen. And that's the point. And, I, you know, we tell with so many people, you know, if you, the Father's waiting for people. He's got applications basically for you to go to work. You just have to have the willingness to do it, and he'll use you if you truly follow him instead of all of this worldly stuff. You know, I mean, we're seeing in the, the Gentile world, and here in America, and I know that you're, you probably notice it, but the things like the, the gender thing, you know, the, the, the homosexual marriage, all these things, and if they, what happened the, 20, 30 years ago, that would be unheard of in the Gentile world yes. because we, we know those things are wrong from the Bible. But you've got you know, to, we've got to scratch our head. Is anybody even reading the Bible? Yeah, but you know, Pastor, I want to encourage you on, on one point on this, and maybe encourage everybody on the gloom and doom. Here, here is what it says. In the Talmud, in the Oral Law, in Sanhedrin 97, it states that the generation when Mashiach will come is, will be equivalent to the generation of Noah, meaning it's going to be dark. It's going to be very, very dark. The more darkness that you see, the greater the opportunity to spread the light today on the dark, because the darker it is, the better beacon you see the light. In Isaiah 60, the prophet challenges with the word, arise and shine. And this is an opportunity for us, actually, especially because it's darkness. What I see all over the world, you know, I'm going to very, very dark places, and I see clearly that God divided the line between those who are for him and for his Messiah, it says in Psalm 2, and those who are against him. And... It is amazing. Every place I see darkness, Pastor, I also see a great light. And the light always will match darkness. And that, that is something that is comforting and, and important for us to remember. Amen. Just last week at, at our, our mission church, um, I pointed out that, you know, if you light a match in a bright room, it doesn't seem very bright. But if you turn out the lights, and light that match in a dark room, how bright does that light seem? That is and exactly right. That is exactly right. So I, I encourage everybody to keep on seeking the opportunities, you know. Uh, the opportunities are there, and the time is near. We all need to do our part. The faster the nations can get it right and return Yeshua back, help to pave the way to return back to his rightful owner, the Jewish people, the faster he can return. The key right now is with the nations. Amen. Okay, I've got a couple of questions for the people that I know that they're going to ask. Number one, you mentioned Torah portions. Where can they get those? Oh, fantastic. So God has given us a vision of 
of, of reaching thousands upon thousands of people and giving him opportunity to study Torah, but through the lens of Messiah. So we have uh, launched just a few months ago, completely free of charge, and I know people probably get excited about that, free of charge, a mobile app. It's available both on Android and available also on iPhone. Every week, video lessons straight to them, hundreds upon hundreds of lessons of fantastic teachings. It's available. Just go and download Ahavat, A-H-A-V-A-T, on the A-M-M-I, in Google App Store or on the, on the iTunes Store. It's available every week. They're getting a fresh lesson. Uh, in, we, we had already thousands upon thousands of downloads of these things worldwide. So that's number one. For those who are serious about what I talked about, the being discipled, going to a training program, I encourage you to check out Shuvu, S-H-U-V-U.tv. That will be a great uh, 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 program, but that is an extensive program that is available online. So that will be two resources that I highly recommend. Okay. I, ha- I already uh, found the link for the mobile app. I already found that, and I've sent it out to some of my close friends. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna post it. But let me say this uh, real quick because we only got a few minutes. Uh, could you please send me a link, possibly to that school, and make it easier for me? And then I will advertise that also. Back to you. We've got about three minutes. Of course, of course. Yes, that would be not a problem. I'll be uh, happy to do that. Well, amen. Well, it, brother, please leave us with some final words. You got about two minutes. Give them your website again and and. Uh, any final word? Uh, let, let, me, let me leave you with the final word from the scripture. In, in the scripture, there, there, there's the, I call it the famous feud. It's a feud be, between Jacob and Esau, who is going to be born, be born first. It, it actually ended up being Esau who was born first. The rabbis teach us that Jacob uh, actually was dead in the womb. Jacob is a picture of Israel. We know that his name was changed to Israel. The question is, how was Jacob was born? Interesting thing, although they fought with each other, Esau and Yaakov, it was Yaakov who held the heel, the heel of Esau. And it's, the rabbi says it's true, Esau pushing through that Yaakov was able to be born again. Christianity represent today Esau, Judaism represent Yaakov. When you, today, Christians, pull through, push out, you will not just help your understanding, you will help Yaakov to turn to be Israel again and for Israel to be everything that God intended him to do. So I plead with everybody Christian to, to hear this today. Help us to bring back the Messiah by taking upon yourself the role of breaking out and breaking through, may you have the, the power of the, the one who break out and break through upon yourself. The word in Hebrew to break out is the word poretz. It's the same word in Gematria for the word shalom, the prince of peace. As you break out today and you break through, the prince of peace will come back. I, I pray this upon you. This is the time that God wants each one and every one of you to break out. Well, amen. Thanks so much for being on with me, my brother. I, I, I'm going to keep in touch with you, and uh, I'm going to advertise your thing. Just wonderful. And I hope it was a blessing for everybody. And, of course, keep us in prayer as well. Okay. Goodbye and shalom to you, brother. Shalom, shalom. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, folks, um, that's kosherpig.org. Uh, a lot of things seems as a twist. You know, 
You should look at the points of view of what we were talking about tonight. Um, I think on, on both sides of the coin, of course, he says that the Jews will receive Messiah. We've said that over and over. Of course, no one gets into the, to the Father but through the Son. Amen. That's predominant. This is an end-time thing that's going on. Be blessed that we live in this time. Anyway, folks, remember the 4th of July is Monday. Celebrate Independence Day. You may not have many more Independence Days or have your independence. Anyway, pray about supporting Wichita Mission Church. We really do really need your help. Pray about that. Also, please pray about supporting radio. You're hearing these messages from radio, and I know so many of you can get everything for free, but the people that put these out, it isn't free. I mean, I have to pay for radio airtime. I have to pay, most of you here, a lot of you hear this on Podomatic. That is due. I need almost $1,000 to pay for that come the 16th, or there will be no Podomatic anymore, and those archives will just go away. Sure, you'll get, still get the live radio programs, but that's not the same as the archives that now you all like to listen to on your um, phones. Anyway, you must remember there is only one God. He is your father. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His son is Yeshua, HaMashiach. He gave his life for repented sins. He rose after three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And through him, and only through him, is the way to the Father. Remember, always, 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 I can't say it enough, be a blessing to others. Lord our God, Father, King Universe, asking Yeshua HaMashiach's name, that the Father blesses and keeps you, and his face shines upon you, and is gracious to you, and gives you peace like no one or nothing else can. Until next, until an hour from now, this is Pastor Dan saying goodbye and shalom. You've just heard the Messiah's Branch broadcast featuring Pastor Dan. To contact Dan on the Internet, go to messiahsbranch.org. To write to Dan, send a note to Messiah's Branch, 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas. 66851. Tune in next time for Messiah's Branch. Food prices going up, homes being foreclosed, unemployment insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can do neither. Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of Bankers' economy, the American people, your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need first aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th. online by going to wichitahomeless.com or simply call 316-619-4886 316-619-4886 American Voice 
radio network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. make the aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with Salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at www.thepowerherbs.com. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate in those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, have peace, and request your pandemic kit today. Or take your chances with the bad boys. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. Financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom
Herb Talk Live. I'm your resident herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Hope you had a great day. We're here to empower you. That's what we like to do here on Herb Talk. And right before the 4th of July weekend, I hope you all have a good and safe and healthy weekend, you know, when you're out there traveling, wherever you're going, be safe out there. Well, Magical Engineer Frank and I, we have a great show. Thanks for joining us here on the American Voice Radio Network. Herb Talk Live is going to be an empowering moment for you if you're new to the show. Uh, We're going to be talking about something a former employee of the FDA is going to say. Aha. And what that may mean uh, regarding supplement industry. Okay, so we we got some things coming up. Also, we're going to be touching on some uh, things you can do in case you get any food poisoning. I mean, you know, traveling, holidays, easy to get, right? So we're going to talk about that. And we'll see how much time we have left over. We may be able to cover some very damaging uh, prescription medications that uh, hurt your bones and your liver. Um, and uh, we got some other stuff, but I don't know how far we'll get. So we'll just have to just roll with it. We're kind of easy going here. And we have a quack report. But before we get to all that great stuff, big salute and simplify to our righteous men and women in uniform. I always lift them up in prayer. I hope you do too. I'm seeking the Lord's face. I'm hitting the knees with respect. Fear and respect and trembling, you know, because the Lord deserves that because he's the Lord. And, you know, if we just trust him and have a relationship with him uh, and, and just, you know, relax and he's, not, he's got it. He, he's got this. But we have to trust him. We have to pray and draw near to him. So as a nation of, of Americans, I hope we can do that. I'll lift his name up in prayer and bless him and uh, ask him to guide this nation into... Uh, well, strength, position of strength and power and goodness again. I hope you'll join me in that. And without further ado, let's do the crack report. Thanks, Frank. First up in the quacker, what do we have here? You know that Affordable Care Act thing, right? The Obamacare? Remember the insurance companies really liked it, helped with the creation of the Affordable Care Act? Plenty of encouragement from the insurance uh, providers, right? Uh, you know, Affordable Care Act was going to you know, have an individual mandate, force Americans to buy their product. Insurers, you know, helped the politicians with the whole government thing and setting this up. They were like, yeah, yeah. They had a big prospect. They were had tens of millions of new customers. They were going to be forced to give them money. You know, who wouldn't love that, right? So um, they didn't care whether you needed coverage or not. The underwriters didn't care. They saw the potential of a massive windfall. Wow. Six years later, kind of those dreams have been squashed. All that windfall failed to materialize. Now the insurance companies want taxpayers to provide them the profits they feel entitled to. Oh, it just gets better, doesn't it? Yeah, they feel they're entitled to money, more money, not because of superior products and services. They're going to get it through a lawsuit. Yet Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina joined a growing list of insurers suing the Department of Health and Human Services for more subsidies from their um, risk corridor program. See what Congress did. They set up this program to indemnify the insurers who had losses for the first three years of the Affordable Care Act. So there were funds that were going to be there um, from taxpaying citizens um, to, you know, excess profits somewhere. It just materialized like a genie in a bottle, poof. 
and they were going to give that to the insurer. So they were just going to, you know, say, it's all right, it's all right, it's a little risk, but, you know, hey, we got this money set aside for you in case you lose money, no worries. Well, what happened is the younger, healthier consumers decided they want to buy coverage with all these high deductibles with no guarantees, and people weren't accepting it in emergency rooms and so forth. So, uh-oh, you see what happens with the Ponzi scheme? You know, anyway, uh, so uh, they predicted large windfall from uh, the profit taxes, but they never materialized. And so, you know, that's what you get, right? Mm-hmm. See, only God can get blood from a stone. All right. Uh, last but not least in the crack report, uh, popcorn. Anybody like popcorn? I do. I like popcorn if it's made right. I don't like all the, you know, nasty stuff that. You know, chemicals. I don't like that stuff you put in a microwave. No, no, no. I like the real deal. So um, I'll get some organic kernels and I'll throw them in in my air popper. And then I'll put Celtic sea salt on them and maybe a little butter, but um, maybe even some uh, garlic powder. Just kind of spruce it up. But popcorn, there's a big boom in popcorn. It, it happened right around the Great Depression, right? But popcorn's been around for 5,000 years. They've actually fine finding uh, petrified popcorn uh, in uh, archaeological digs. So um, it's been around a long time. But during the Great Depression, it became popular because it was inexpensive. And uh, so it caught on. Americans now eat about 1.2 billion pounds every year. So popcorn's healthy. It's got a lot of manganese and zinc and fiber. And according to some research, it helps to regulate blood sugar and improves digestion. It helps with weight loss. Uh, it reduces cholesterol levels. Uh, it helps, uh, they think, fight cancer. And popcorn contains more antioxidants or polyphenols than fruit and vegetables. Mm. But just don't microwave it. If you're going to microwave it, you ruin all that. So uh, you may be wondering about whether popcorn, though, is genetically modified or engineered. Well, the answer may surprise you that popcorn is a special breed of popcorn that they 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 breed it to pop and it is not currently genetically modified according to uh, research. Uh, 90% of the other corn is, but apparently this special breed of popcorn corn is not. So it's best though to get organic and skip the chemical sprays that can, you know, come on uh, other corn products and uh, just go with the organic. That's what I say. And enjoy, sit down and watch a movie over the holidays and enjoy some organic popcorn. And that wraps the quack report. Thank you, Frank. All right, we're going to be talking about what a former FDA employee says. He's speaking out about supplements. You know, several publications, though, have kept readers aware of how much money Americans are really spending on their health care. And how much is really coming out of their pocket? Well, the USA Today ran an article June 29, 2016, and it was a study titled, Americans Spend Billions on Non-Conventional Health Approaches. So the current numbers are that we're spending over $30 billion out of pocket on natural health therapies, which is really a small piece of the pie when you think of it. It's like 1%. Because overall, we're spending $329 billion on health care. So a smidgen, 1%. People are like saying, you know, 
I want something natural, so I'll just, I'll just pay for it. Now, there seems to be a growing shift in the demand for natural therapies, and the healthcare establishment has noticed it. So we're going to take a look at the shakeup and how America seeks to heal itself. Well, in this study, the National Center for Health Statistics analyzed data from the 2012 National Health Survey, and they determined the following. One in five Americans, uh, the age of four and up, are using natural therapies and they're spending money on them. Of course, the minor children have their parents spending money on them. And they also noticed that therapies are included, uh, they include massage, chiropractic care, tai chi, energy therapies, herbs, and hypnosis. So people are spending money on that to get better. So according to their report, about 1% of the money is being spent on natural therapies, which means a majority of people are still seeking Conventional doctors, they're still seeking them out and they're taking prescription medicines or not. Because according to Oncology News and the CDC, one in 10 senior citizens can no longer afford their medicines. So they are forced to choose between paying bills and buying groceries or filling their prescriptions. So this means the cost of everything has really gone up and it was really not anticipated and taken into account when the elderly were, you know, saving for their retirement. So the elderly have also experienced changes to the health care coverage, and they're paying more. So the study by the American Academy of Family Physicians, they published their results in the Annals of Internal Medicine in 2014. In that issue, they reported that the number of elderly not filling prescription due to financial reasons was really one in three. So not one in ten, but one in three. So this study involved electronic health records from the primary care network. And the patient's records were, you know, they're linked to the insurance company data on the drugs that are dispensed and paid for. So they can see how many patients are visiting their doctors and if they are filling their prescriptions or not. So the electronic e-prescribing is also kept close track if patients are picking up and paying for prescriptions. And they concluded overall that 31% of the drugs are not being filled by patients. They go to their doctor, the doctor gives them a prescription, but they just don't fill it. All right, so the study also listed additional data for patient noncompliance with drug treatments. Here we go. They say some of the reasons people aren't getting their drugs filled is their age, because for every 10 years added to a patient's age, the noncompliance to fill drug prescription increased by 11%. Also, another influence for not filling drugs is recent hospital stay, higher co-pays, and severe or chronic conditions which require more medicines. So, you know, it's not just one drug you got to fill, it's like five. So Canada, by the way, which provides health care to all its citizens and covers 50% of them with drug insurance, finds the same trend happening there. What is going on? Are people waking up? I think so. Well, let's, so you know what the healthcare care industry is doing? They're going to roll out a new strategy. A new strategy the medical establishment is using for medication adherence or compliance is to Crack down on folks not filling their prescriptions. 
So they have healthcare professionals check up on the patients. So we recently have seen reports in alternative news outlets that people are saying they are getting annoyed at the phone calls from their doctor's office regarding if they are following the prescribed care. And some have reported the follow-up calls border on harassment. So the medical establishment is analyzing the, quote, cost of compliance, and they've even made a suggestion of doing home visits. Yeah, to monitor if you're taking your, your medicine. So now the Academy, the American Academy of Family Physicians really has joined a coalition of 30 organizations in which their job is to identify strategies to increase medication compliance. And the stockholders of the Prescription for a Healthy America has sparked this initiative, calling on physician offices, pharmacists, all healthcare professionals and consumer groups to pitch in and secure this drug compliance. So let's just translate this. We find that 1% of the United States population is jumping off the prescription drug ship to something else, and the establishment's not satisfied, profiting from a mere $300 billion a year. Uh-huh. So you know what they're doing? They're switching places because we are very familiar with the statistics that when people do take their prescribed medications as directed, it is the leading cause of emergency room visits, and the drugs kill at least 100,000 patients per year. However, the director of the American Academy for Family Physicians, Dr. Rebecca Hafe, states that drug noncompliance is responsible for 100,000 deaths per year and for a majority of the hospital admissions. See how she switched that around? So Dr. Hafe reports the coalition has found that six out of 10 patients don't take medicines as directed. Kind of makes you wonder uh, how many of these health professionals have ties to pharmaceutical profits. And you know what? In 2014, CBS News reported on this. The Sunshine Act requires the pharmaceutical and the medical device companies to report publicly all payments to doctors of $10 or more, and the theory is that patients can check to see if their doctor is financially influenced by, you know, drug giants, basically. So the bioethics people claim kickbacks are illegal, But, however, drug companies and medical device companies aren't the only ones that are involved in kickbacks to physicians. Hospitals are as well. So while I was working in the medical field, it was common for neurologists who, you know, had privileges at several hospitals, you know, to be given a kickback when they directed patients to a specific hospital for a test. So, for instance, they would write you know, prescriptions or orders for MRIs and CT scans. And that would net the doctor about a kickback of about 800 to to $1,000 a piece. And neurologists write many orders for these studies every day, and the hospital kickbacks could easily add six figures to their annual income. So ProPublica um, developed an online tool to search for questionable payments to the physician that would exclude any research or device inventions or ownership interests doctors may have, okay? 
because, you know, doctors do have input on, you know, device uh, development and so forth, and they may have invented something. So that's, that's excluded. So their online address, if you want to check this out, and by the way, by the way, if you are on our newsletter uh, list, you would get this hot link in the newsletter blast that you would go to each week. And, of course, the newsletters are free. So if you're on the PowerHerbs.com website, sign up for the newsletters under the Books and Newsletter tab. Okay, it's totally free. Okay, so the online address for ProPublica to check if your doctor's getting kickbacks is um, uh, www.pro, uh, let's see, projects or P-R-O-J-E-C-T-X dot ProPublica, P-R-O-Publica, P-U-B-L-I-C-A dot org. So projects dot propublica.org slash doc dollars doc dollars so you can check that out all right so and we can't forget about the complimentary physicians remember that a few years ago the complimentary physicians really popular patients liked the idea that a medical doctor would have knowledge or uh, you know of nutrition and some natural therapies and you know less toxic treatments However, what patients discovered is that's more hype than substance, as most physicians recommended what they knew, and that's drugs and surgery. So it's kind of rare to find an MD who has studied and has experience with natural therapies. And as you can ascertain, book knowledge is different from experience, two different things. So getting back to the National Center for the Health Statistics, they found that Families with higher incomes were seeking out the alternative health care because they can afford the out-of-pocket expense. But in 2012, Americans were willing to spend $12.8 billion out-of-pocket to better their health. So what the statistics are revealing is that more Americans took the money that they would have spent on prescription drugs and purchased natural therapies, supplements, and medicinal herbs instead. Let that sink in a minute. Well, you know, and then, of course, there's the doctors that say, oh, supplements need to be more regulated. So this trend in um, healthy self-care is really cutting into the medical professional's paycheck, and some are critical of the supplement market not being regulated enough by the FDA. So critics like Dr. Paul Hoffett, Hoffett pediatrician, Philadelphia's Children's Hospital, stated with regards to supplement use, he said, quote, you are putting a lot of faith in something you shouldn't have much faith in, end of quote. Well, this is offensive because God created these herbs and he said they're here for your use. So he's asking you not to trust God and have faith in God. But besides that, so here is this physician. He says this, but this is the same physician that said, quote, a baby can handle as many as 10,000 vaccines during infancy, end of quote. And it's interesting that Dr. Offit holds a patent on vaccine that he developed with Merck Pharmaceutical. He developed the rotavirus vaccine. So they give that to infants to stop diarrhea. So he's going to earn millions of dollars on royalties on that vaccine. So this is really a physician that in 2013 banned the use of all dietary supplements at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. No patient could have, you know, a supplement of any kind. So now here's where we get into the FDA dude. Daniel Fabricant is the former FDA director of the Dietary Supplement Program 
and is now the CEO of National Products Association. And he set the record straight on the regulation and use of supplements. He says this, Dietary supplements do not claim to cure or midgetate disease and are, in fact, regulated just like other drugs. Supplements require good manufacturing practice and compliance with the FDA's adverse event reporting and record-keeping requirements, among other things. People are fed up with the type of care that they get from primary physicians that is covered by insurance. Across the board, people are looking for ways to stay healthy on their own, end of quote. So, you know, this is an empowering thing. It's, it's kind of a self-care empowerment movement. So more people are looking to be strong, healthy, and vital, and that is an empowering thing to them. So you can't be empowered when you are weak, sick, and a slave to drug therapy. And Daniel Fabricant makes another good point regarding who has the best interest in the patient's health. He says this, the average doctor runs through 40 patients per day, spends seven minutes on each, which makes it difficult to get interested in someone's health and well, wellness in just seven-minute period, end of quote. I agree. It's, you know, conveyor belt patients. Uh, now, most medical students receive one day of nutritional education and have no education on the use and benefits of medicinal herbs or other natural therapies. Therefore, physicians like Dr. Offit, who ban and shun the use of supplements, is based on a lack of working knowledge about them. And I'm sure those who stand to benefit from the drug and surgery treatments in healthcare are concerned that natural, the natural way will resolve patient health problems. Well, let me read you one last quote from um, Daniel Fabricant, CEO of the National Product Association, former uh, FDA Director of Dietary Supplements, he says this, I don't think it's just Americans who are spending the money. I think the self-care movement is global and here to stay. And I say, yes. Yeah. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Give it to me. I can always count on Frank to pop in there, you know, with an amen. Okay, so basically we're learning how to take care of ourselves. So you, you're realizing that people are realizing that some treatments in modern medicine, you know, including myself, they have benefits. They're really good for trauma-based care. Modern medicine, though, isn't able to prevent disease, just like it's not able to prevent accidents. So drug-induced temporarily um, it reduces your symptoms, and it gives a reduction that way, but that gives you an illusion of health. It leads really down the road to chronic and often unstable conditions. So a very wise creator once said, herbs are for the service of man and for the healing of the nations. So that's Psalms 104.14 and Revelation 22.2. So the world would have you deny the power of nutrition while you pump 10,000 vaccines into an infant, and more people are taking a stand for their own health and not trusting the drug therapy, and they are putting their faith into God's medicine. Now, I applaud and I am thankful for all who are successful in doing that. So, as the healthcare industry harasses patients into drug compliance and doctors refuse to see patients who do not take the drugs, 
the industry is really pushing people towards the God-given alternatives. And thank God you have alternatives. And continue, you should continue to fight for them. Well, I see by the clock i got to take a break. I'm not done with this topic. i got a little bit more to go, but we'll talk about that on the other side. And also we're going to chime in with herbs that you can use and some things you can do to reverse some food poisoning in case that comes up. I hope not. Hope not. Hope you don't get <laughs> hope you don't get food poisoning on your holiday. You know, don't leave that potato salad out in the heat all day. Please. We're gonna take a break. We'll be right back. When I was a little boy, when I was just a boy, the devil called my name. When I was just a boy. I see now who do who do you think you're fooling? When I was just a boy. I'm a consecrated boy. Herbalist Wendy Wilson will be right back. Everyone is afraid of pain. No one wants pain to rule over their life. And you don't want the negative side effects of aspirin, ibuprofen, or prescription drugs. They can lower immunity and cause dependency. Is there a safe alternative? I'm Herbalist Wendy Wilson. And I prefer willow bark and meadowsweet herbs to control pain, fever, aches, and inflammation. God's herbs are good, and you won't be disappointed. Call Apothecary Herbs for pain or extra strength pain relief formula, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International, 704-875-8010 or online, thepowerherbs.com. trust anyone wearing a mask robbers cattle rustlers or doctors i listen to herb talk live pandemics will be a part of our future the question is how do we protect ourselves are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine hoping it kills mutating viruses Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. 
Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, have peace, and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. count high, half of all men over 50 have an enlarged prostate. You can shrink your prostate without harmful drugs or risky surgery. The secret to healing the prostate is to cleanse the prostate and the liver. Call Apothecary Herbs to ask about the prostate kit for a comprehensive way to heal and soothe your prostate. Educate yourself on how easy it can be to disinfect, cleanse, and restore your prostate gland. Call Apothecary Herbs for the prostate kit and successfully reduce swelling, inflammation, dissolve stones, and cleanse the blood to obtain the results you need. Money back guarantee with every purchase. Call the experts in organ cleansing. Call Apothecary Herbs now for the prostate kit and empower yourself. Toll free 866-229-3663 or international callers 704-875-8010. That's toll free 866-229-3663 or visit the web at thepowerherbs.com. Wendy Wilson, and uh, we just got talking about what uh, is going on <laughs> in healthcare, the supplement market, what a former FDA employee says about supplements being regulated, and this new movement for, uh, or you know, all natural therapy self-care is just like, it's picking up steam. It's, you know, it's going to be rolling down the hill, picking up momentum. So, you know, as you embark on a path of natural health, it's really important that you should learn all that you can and be real selective on the products you're using. So organic nutrients can really be destroyed by really bad processing. So it's really important to know how the product was processed. So um, there's this nine question sheet that you can pick up on the About Us page at thepowerherbs.com. So that's the folks at Apothecary Herbs. They, they, it's kind of like insider information on um, product processing can help you with your product selection, uh, get some quality products out there. So now, you know, whether you buy from Apothecary Herbs or not, you should really know this stuff. So Apothecary Herbs uses the certified organic grown herbs to tilt standards in their product line. 
there really isn't any higher quality standard in organic herbs than that. Tilth. Tilth is the is the top, top, top. And um, they don't use any heat in their processing, so it really does preserve all those wonderful nutrients that God put all in your herbal plants. So people are really discovering that simple toxin removal with the organ cleanses and using herbs to strengthen organs and, and the immune system really does reduce a lot of risk of many diseases. You know, people are sidestepping a lot of problems. So that right there is empowerment, totally. So if you'd like to be empowered, uh, give the folks at Apothecary Herbs a call and uh, you can order or you can request their free product catalog. And that number is 866-229-3663, 866-229-3663. If you're outside the U.S., dial 704-885-0277, 704-885-0277. Of course, the website is thepowerherbs.com. Remember power, thepowerherbs.com. Because if you're serious about herbs, you need apothecary herbs, and that's where your healthcare options just became endless. Woo-hoo! You know? Hey, Frank, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, I got some calls from overseas where, uh, you know, we kind of like to find out how people are finding us, right? Especially when you're going across the pond there. And, uh, and uh, I'm just amazed. And a couple times now people said, well, you know, I've got this little magnet with your phone number on it. See, we put these little, um, you know, magnets with our contact information in the product catalog. So somebody got a catalog and then, you know, shared the magnet with them. So our magnets are, are getting around, Frank. They're just getting around. Didn't have to buy an overseas ticket. <laughs> Passing an eye on. All righty. We're going to be talking about food poison because, you know, we're going to have a big holiday here real soon. And, you know, you may be eating more food or foods you don't usually eat or, you know, potlucks. You know, people bring food. And um, there could be an increased risk of, you know, food poisoning in, in situations like this, especially if it's outside picnicking. Got to keep a lot of the mayonnaise and stuff on ice. And if you don't, you can have a problem. You know, meats, if you're barbecuing, that kind of – anyway, it's real important uh, so you want to make sure that you, you, you can sidestep the food poisoning thing as much as you can. So in case you can't, we're going to get into some of the things that you can do other than just washing your hands and, and uh, getting some refrigeration going. We're going to talk to you about things that you can do for food poisoning, help eradicate that bacteria and virus microbe out of the system. So now if, if you believe the statistics from the CDC, foodborne illnesses uh, they, they say uh, are as follows, six to eight million people get affected every year by, you know, food poisoning. Uh, it produces about 9,000 deaths a year. Mm-hmm. So uh, E. coli is the most frequent reported food poisoning by the media with about 25,000 annual cases each year. And that translates into um, 2,083 E. coli reports per month basically. So, and we usually get them around the holidays. They tick up around the holidays. So we get 68 of them per day or two, two reports per hour of food poisoning. Now, according to the CDC, we have 200 known foodborne illnesses, which include viruses like hepatitis, 
bacteria and parasites and toxins and toxic metals and prions and the whole shebang. So um, there also we may need a subcategory, you know, which where people would fall into with food allergies. That they can be poisoned by foods like peanuts, right? So we need that category to be covered too. Well, let's look at some of the symptoms in case you um, don't know what you have. Um, if you get food poisoning, you can get it in a short time. The incubation period for the microbe for food poisoning passes through the stomach into the intestines and attaches, um, it attaches a cell lining in the intestinal wall. And there it multiplies, okay? So some microbes can produce toxins, which then can be absorbed into the bloodstream, and it can invade deep into other tissues and affect organs like your liver, and that's where you can get hepatitis diseases. So the symptoms that develop uh, depend on the microbe. So food poisoning symptoms typically include nausea, abdominal pain, vomiting, diarrhea, gastroenteritis, fever, headache, fatigue, and severe cases, death can occur in a quick time, period of time. So you don't want to mess with this. So uh, the, the symptoms can appear anytime from a few hours after eating to a days afterward. Now, in rare cases, symptoms may not appear for months or even years after eating some contaminated food. And it's really not uncommon for people who are poisoned by food microbes and to suffer digestive discomfort for longer than usual periods and think that it's just, you know, a harmless flu bug or something. Now, research suggests that some pathogens causing food poisoning can actually leave um, residual health uh, issues like arthritis. So you don't want that. So you definitely want to seek care, but we're going to try to minimize this as much as we can. Uh, so what are the most common reasons? Some of the common reasons foods become contaminated is because of poor hygiene, poor sanitation, contaminated water, or the temperature, the cooking, and the storing wasn't correct. So hygiene and sanitation aside, put those aside. Then you have the moisture and the temperature. They're going to be also important if the microbes are going to, you know, grow and multiply in the food and make us sick. So without those two elements, it's unlikely the microbes will grow in any numbers of high significance to cause an illness. So how much of a lethal dose of a microbe do you need to get sick? Well, it depends on which bacterial microbe it is. But normally, we're, we're not talking about one or two microbes. Um, we're talking about a metropolis of microbes. We're talking about, you know, you know, a lot of them. For instance, for salmonella, you need about a million to a billion of them to produce food poisoning symptoms. So these microbes do multiply fast, and in a matter of hours, you could have the makings of a, well, a, a metropolis of microbes in your food. So it's, I should point out that salmonella is sensitive to acids and a, a low pH acid acid reduces salmonella activity inside the body. Okay, so low pH, uh, more acids, less alkaline, you can help um, get rid of that. Well, let's look at the, a greater risk. Some individuals with specific medical conditions or of a certain age will not tolerate food poisonings very well uh, compared to a healthy individual. So 
Since some food-borne microbes can get into the bloodstream and affect organs such as the liver, those suffering with, like, liver conditions um, are at a greater risk of death from getting food poisoning. So those with HIV, uh, people with autoimmune disorders, young children, pregnant women, diabetics, cancer patients, and the elderly are going to be at a greater risk. So here's some foods you want to avoid to diminish your likelihood of being poisoned. You want to avoid shellfish, very high risk, especially oysters and crabs. And a lot of people like to, you know, have, you know, what are they, oyster cookouts and stuff. You've got to be real careful with that. So um, also if you're combining uh, any of those foods uh, with other foods, uh, imported foods can also tend to offer a greater risk than domestically produced ones. So food that is, um, you know, on the all-you-can-eat buffet, that smorgasbord of bacteria right there. Uh, I call it the bacteria bar. So obviously, I don't eat there. <laughs> okay, so watch that. Uh, now, there's an old Indian proverb that says every good quality is contained in ginger. So we're going to be talking about some of these herbs that can help you. Um, so here's some herbs that can help you. Uh, you can cook and heal with a little ginger. Uh, that's uh, what a man has done for centuries. Uh, he's taken ginger root and he's put it in dishes. And basically people thought, well, it was a spice. It was to give it flavor. Yeah, it gave it flavor, but that's not what the main reason they were using it. It was to cut down on bacteria. Um, so some of the scientific studies support this, this uh, folk medicine application of putting ginger root um, they said it was for digestive ills, nausea, motion sickness, morning sickness, but it was also to help with food poisoning. Now, uh, medicinal use of ginger goes back 3,000 years, um, and uh, the Chinese were using it, oh, for everything, arthritis, kidney problems, colds, uh, leprosy. Uh, so the Chinese will actually serve ginger root with shellfish as an antidote for food poisoning. And you just thought it was something pretty on the plate? Yeah. So remember that, ginger root. Uh, now, what are some of the ancient uses for ginger? Indian physicians used ginger root to relieve body odor. Greek traders bought ginger root back in Greece, and they wrapped it in a sweet bread, and this became an after-dinner uh, type of bread, and it helped settle the stomach after a big meal. So this is how we got the gingerbread and later the gingerbread men cookies. Now, Europe also fell in love with gingerbread, and then we got the gingerbread houses, the Hansel and Gretel thing. The Romans also used it in, um, but they used it, they, um, the Romans used it, but after Rome fell, uh, it kind of got expensive. They couldn't get it as readily, so then they stopped using it so much. But in the new world, ginger has made, has made it into beverages like ginger beer, ginger ale, uh, very popular home remedy to help with nausea, diarrhea, and vomiting. You know, when I was growing up, my mom would give me some of that. And that's when it, <laughs> ginger ale had real ginger in it, right? Now it's just, you know, caramel coloring and flavoring. Not going to help you. No. So the natural physicians of America use ginger ale, ginger tea, ginger powder, ginger wine, to help with digestive ills, for fever, for headache, for toothaches, flu, and female issues. So how is ginger doing all that? Well, the science behind ginger to make it such a wonderful digestive aid is that it has digestive stimulants, which trigger the production of digestive fluids, 
and it neutralizes toxins and acids, and, uh, and it just helps the digestive tract function better. Another benefit, ginger is, has these oils in it, which stimulate the circulatory system, and it stimulates the liver's serum cholesterol and makes it, the blood, uh, it purifies the blood, basically. So the oil and the resins in ginger are natural antimicrobials, and they stop spasms and cramping while it soothes the intestinal lining. Now, in 1982, researchers at Brigham Young University published their findings. They compared ginger root to the popular anti-motion sickness drug called Dramamine. Ginger root outperformed Dramamine by 57%. Now, they also did the same thing with the Swedish Navy with the seasickness, compared it to a drug, and uh, it worked, uh, the ginger worked 72% better than the drug. British surgeons compared ginger root as an anti-nausea drug uh, on their surgery patients, gave uh, them ginger root, and they had less nausea and vomiting after surgery. Danish researchers tested ginger root against the placebo for morning sickness on 30 pregnant women, and ginger root had a 70% success rate compared to the drug. And so the Danish physicians stopped prescribing the drug and just gave their patients ginger root instead because it was more effective and it was safer. Now, the results show that Dramamine helped 50% of passengers uh, and ginger root helped them 70% of the time with the seasickness. So uh, New England Journal of Medicine reported on a study that ginger lowers blood pressure, prevents blood clots, reduces the risk of stroke and heart attack. So it is one of those circulatory herbs. I just love to pair it with cayenne for total circulation. Other studies have been, of course, um, you know, about wonderful effectiveness of ginger for ulcers, arthritis, menstrual cramping, immune system to help fight colds and flu. Um, uh, also, uh, the Chinese proved that ginger root kills influenza virus. So this is why you find your ginger root in the all-in-one tonic at Apothecary Herbs. It's that plague tonic. It's broad spectrum. So ginger root's on your side. Um, it is one of those herbs. I like to uh, take ginger root, fennel, and peppermint and combine them uh, to stop um, uh, vomiting viruses if you get on the, you know, that track. Uh, and it works for pets, too. You know? If you've got pets with diarrhea, add the slippery elm. Slip around, stop diarrhea in a skinny minute. So if you're looking for those herbs, they have them all. Look under the digestion category at powerherbs.com. The folks at Apothecary Herbs make digestive formulas, and they're all organic. Uh, so you can have some ginger root around this year. Um, for the 4th of July, you can um, have, uh, well, we've got some more holidays coming up before we move into, you know, the fall and winter holidays. But you definitely want to have some ginger root. It's, it's very effective for a lot of things. Um, and the liquids have a 10-year shelf life. So just put them in your cabinet. They'll be ready when you need them. So uh, check that out, thepowerherbs.com. They have a digestive kit. Um, they, they do have um, herbs for heart. Uh, they have a heart attack pack. They even have the gentian root if you're trying to stop overeating, if that's a problem. Uh, so gentian root is very good. So you have some digestive herbs there. It can really help you out. All right. I've got a few minutes, and I mean just a few minutes, so we're going to touch base on this um, list of damaging drugs that can hurt your bones and your liver. Um, 
And these are pretty popular drugs. They're, they're used all the time. Um, and, of course, you know, drug companies already know what damage these drugs will do. But by the time you sue them, they would have made billions. All right, so the drugs that can significantly destroy some of your organs, like your liver and your bones, um, they have a disclaimer of information usually on the, on the drug itself uh, that says the drug may cause serious disease because of an alkaline phosphate imbalance. Okay, so you read that and you think, well, the doctor would have let me know if there's going to be a problem with this, right? He's seen my lab work. He knows me. He wouldn't prescribe something that would, you know, kill my liver or my bones, would he? Well, alkaline phosphate, or ALP, if outside normal limits, can prevent you from passing physical exams for employment uh, for sport teams or from getting uh, health or life insurance. So be aware of that. So ALP substances, when they're found in the blood and all the body tissues, it has, it has an impact on the structure. It undermines the structure of the organs, such as your liver or your bones. So drugs that are going to mess you up, uh, the drugs that will alter your alkaline phosphate level are drugs that treat gout, kidney stones, cancer, such as the alloporinol, and also your anti-inflammatory drugs, also on the list are birth control pills, diabetic medicine, um, psychosis drugs, cortisone, male hormone drugs, anti-hypertensive uh, drugs to relax blood vessels, narcotic pain medications, um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, beta blockers for your high blood pressure, anti-anxiety drugs tranquilizers, tetracyclic antidepressants, antibiotics that contain erythromycin, and, of course, your STD medications. So how many people would you suppose are on that in America alone? So how do you know if your alkaline phosphate level is out of whack? How do you know what area of the body can be you should be concerned about? Well, if your ALP level is high, your doctor will order another test called an ALP isoenzyme test, which helps to pinpoint what area of the body that's under attack with your ALP level. So the test will act like a process of elimination and help determine if the bone, the liver, the gallbladder, your glands, whatever areas that is affected, um, or if you or if you just simply have a vitamin D deficiency. So if any area that is outside normal range of 20 to 140 IUL, that range can vary by laboratory, though, uh, well, you're going to be more closely looked at if, if you show up with a level like that. So if your APL is abnormally high on more than one test, then you could be diagnosed with bone disease, have trouble healing from fractures, you may have bone tumors, softer bones, or several other problems that are related to bone disease. So if the gallbladder is in trouble, it usually indicates a blockage of the bile duct, can't transfer bile. The liver is usually uh, indicated it could back up and you could get hepatitis or another liver infection. Um, If it's in the glands or the blood system is suspected, you could have lymphoma or leukemia. So, I mean, these 
drugs are toxic and poisonous, obviously. Uh, some other causes, if you get low ALP levels, is, could be due to malnutrition, a protein deficiency, bowel disease, or Wilson's disease, which is a disease where too much copper accumulates in your organs. Or all these conditions can promote um, drug use and further disrupt your ALP level anyway. So how long does it take to get APL out of, way, out of whack? Well, how long? Well, um, does it take for the drugs to mess up your alkaline phosphate level? Well, within 14 days of taking the drug, you could have this problem. Uh, you could have a level over 170. Um, Long-term use of drugs for specifically the cardiovascular or the depression area, anxiety or hormone imbalance drugs, the drugs for diabetes or arthritis or STDs could put you at a serious risk of a secondary disease caused by the medications. And by the way, long-term use 